chair. Staff is ready when you are. Good evening and welcome to the Monday, January 25th, 2024, 5.30 p.m. Planning and Design Commission meeting. This meeting is now called to order. <clears throat> Will the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute your mic. Commissioner Zong? Here. Commissioner Chase? Here. Commissioner Lamas? Here. Commissioner Buckley? Absent. Commissioner Caden? Here. Commissioner Hernandez? Here. Commissioner Macias Reed? Here. Vice Chair Young? Here. Commissioner Blunt? Here. Commissioner Andrade? Absent. Commissioner Thompson? Here. And Vice Chair Wallace? I mean, sorry. It's okay. Excuse me, Chair Wallace. <laughs> Here. Thank you. We have quorum. Thank you, Clerk. <clears throat> I'd like to remind members of the public and chambers that if you would like to speak on an agenda item, please turn in a speaker slip when the item begins. You will have three minutes to speak once you are called on. After the first speaker, we will no longer accept speaker slips. We will now proceed with today's agenda. Please rise for the opening acknowledgments and honors of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, Patwin Winton peoples, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the active practice, acknowledgement, and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. Please remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Seated. All right. Our first business today is the approval of the consent calendar. Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on the consent calendar? Uh, no, I don't have any speaker slips on this item. Thank you. Are there any commissioners who would like to move the minutes? <laughs> Motion to approve. Sorry. Motion to approve. Commissioner Messias Reed? I will second the motion. All right, thank you. We have a motion and a second. Will you please call the roll? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute. Commissioner Jean? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Buckley? Absent. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Commissioner Hernandez? Aye. Commissioner Macias Reed? Aye. Vice Chair Young? Aye. Commissioner Blunt? Aye. Commissioner Andrade? Absent. Commissioner Thompson? Aye. And Chair Wallace? Aye. 
Thank you, motion passes. Thank you. We will now proceed to the discussion calendar. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, we have to do director's report and stuff. <laughs> sure, thank you, Chair. A few items for the director's report this evening. Two housekeeping items. First, the 2024 planning and zoning work program is scheduled to go before city council for its final approval on Tuesday, February 6th. And the planning and design commission's 2023 annual report is scheduled to be heard by the PMPE committee on February 13th. And then an update on uh, the Contemporary Commons residential project, which was heard by the commission at its last meeting on January 11th. It's had its tentative map appealed to council, so we'll be scheduling that for a date in the future. And that's all I have. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Stacia. Okay, now we'll start the discussion calendar. Um, first item on our agenda is item number two, number P22, item number P22-021. Uh, fuel stop gas station staff has actually asked that we pass a motion to continue this item until the next meeting, which is on February 8th. Uh, anybody want to move that for us? Uh, Commissioner Zhang. I'll make a motion to um, push this one on to the next meeting. Thank you. And Commissioner Hernandez. I'll second. Thank you. And I guess we call the vote for that one. Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Zong? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Commissioner Hernandez? Aye. Commissioner Masias Reed? Aye. Vice Chair Young? Aye. Commissioner Blunt? Aye. Commissioner Andrade? Absent. Commissioner Thompson? Aye. And Chair Wallace? Aye. Thank you, motion passes. Thank you. All right, we move on to item number three, uh, the Natomas Bottle Shop, item P23-027. Are there any recusals or disclosures from the commission on this item? Uh, we have a presentation from Jose. Thank you. Good evening, commissioners, Chair Wallace, Vice Chair Young. My name is Jose Quintanilla, Associate Planner with the Community Development Department. This item is P23027, Natomas Bottle Shop. This is a request for a conditional use permit or CUP for the sale of alcohol for off-premises consumption in an existing 1,739 square foot retail space located at 4571 Gateway Park Boulevard and the Golden Land Plan Unit Development, or PUD. The applicant proposes the establishment of, a, of an upscale bottle shop specializing in wine, champagne, and premium distilled spirits. The store will operate from 6 a.m. to midnight daily. This request requires approval of a CUP for alcoholic beverage sales for off-premises consumption in the employment center zone. The applicant is requesting a Type 21 general license, which allows for the sale of beer, wine, and distilled spirits. While the license allows for the sale of beer, no beer is proposed to be sold at this location. The project site is a commercial space previously occupied by dry cleaners and is located in an existing development with retail, office, and other professional, professional and service uses, including medical office, veterinary office, a health club, child care center, and sit-down restaurants. Surrounding uses include similar businesses as well as single unit and multi-unit dwelling developments. 
Notification of the project, this hearing uh, were provided to all neighborhood associations, residents, and property owners within 500 feet of the subject site. Any comment in opposition to the project was received earlier in the week. Staff recommends approval of the project as conditioned as the use is consistent with the Employment Center low rise general plan designation, the North Natomas Community Plan, the Golden Land PUD, and the Employment Center Zone. This is an appropriate reuse of the existing commercial space and is compatible with surrounding uses in the area. And lastly, the use provides retail services, support retail services to the surrounding employment center and community. This concludes the presentation. Staff and the applicant team are here should you have any questions. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Clerk, do we have any speaker slips for this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips for this item. Okay. Uh, moving on, are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? Well, this is also a time for discussion or motion. Uh, Commissioner Hernandez. Thank you. I have a question for staff um, regarding the hours of operations. I see that um, in the City of Sacramento's police department's protest, they included a number of conditions. They did not mention the hours of operations. However, there's condition B6 um, that conditions hours of operation to be from 6 a.m. to 12 a.m. So I'm just curious how we got to those hours. Those were the hours requested by the applicant. And what are the um, traditional hours for this type of use in that area? I don't believe we put a, a cap on, on a hours of operation. Do you have an idea of what we've approved before in terms of hours for liquor yeah. stores? Yeah, it, it really depends on the use. Sometimes if it's a gas station, um, uh, depending on the location, we've done 10, 10 p.m. closures, we've done midnight, we've even done earlier. I'm, I can't tell you off the top of my head, but uh, for sure, tw uh, 10 p.m. and midnight are uh, common, common closure hours. And common opening hours? Uh, 6, 7, 8 a.m. Okay, that seems, I'll reserve my comments for, for the comment section. Or is this questions, comments, and motions? Okay. Um, what I also understand that um, we can discuss the percentage of shelf space for alcohol versus non-alcoholic products, and this is going to be a 100% alcohol? Yes, it is. Okay. And is the um, applicant or a representative of the applicant available today? I believe they are. They're here. Thank you. Hi there. Hi. Um, can you discuss uh, your thoughts behind the hours of operations? Um, hours of operation were kind of based on what other local businesses are doing. Actually, most of them in our area are open until 2 a.m. Um, with uh, where we're located and the type of, I guess, the type of business in this sector that we're looking to operate in, we figured midnight was plenty late for that area and we didn't need to be open later than that. And um, that those hours were also discussed with the uh, sheriff's office as well. Okay. Thank you for the background information. Um, those are all my questions. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Or, sorry. Thank you, Commissioner Hernandez. I'll get o I'll get over it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Zhang. Thank you, Chair. Um, so I did see that there was uh, one uh, public comment uploaded into the e-comments, um, and um, with respect to that, I do appreciate that the um, bottle shop is actually going to be serving higher-end products. Um, it, I think I read that there's no beer sales for this particular location. Um, <laughs> um, that's not true. There is beer sales. Um, uh, I think the agreement with the with the SAC PD was um, no singles, of course. Anything three packs or more. 
Oh, okay. With, uh, with beer sales, yeah. Okay, thank you for that clarification. No further questions. Okay, uh, seeing no further questions, is there anyone who'd like to make a motion or further discussion? Um, really quickly, oh, sorry, Commissioner Lamas. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, I uh, move approval of this uh, item. Uh, before I second this, I just wanted to clarify for folks that um, this did go through our Healthy Places Index analysis, which I appreciate, and it scored um, towards the top, uh, over 70%. Um, and I appreciate that the staff have incorporated this practice into all sort of um, uses that could be sensitive. Um, and then just as a point of context, we also approved the um, Bottle Shop Good Bottle, which is in Midtown, um, and on J Street, and I don't think that it has proposed any con uh, negative consequences to the surrounding neighborhood, so I feel comfortable in offering my second for this. And um, can we please call the roll? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute. Commissioner Jean? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Commissioner Hernandez? Aye. Commissioner Masias Reed? Aye. Vice Chair Young? Aye. Commissioner Blunt? Aye. Commissioner Andrade? Absent. Commissioner Thompson? Aye. And Chair Wallace? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. <laughs> Thank you, clerk. Okay, moving on to item number four. Uh, this is H Mart retail store, item 20, P23-029. Um, before we do the presentation, can are there any recusals or disclosures by the commission? Seeing none, we have a presentation from Angel. <clears throat> uh, good evening, commissioners and Chair Wallace. Uh, my name is Angel Anguiano, and I am a, I'm a planner in the Community Development Department. Uh, today I'm here to present on agenda item number four, which is the H Mart retail store located at 6366 Mac Road. Uh, for your consideration this evening is a request to approve a conditional use permit to allow a more than a 40,000 square foot retail store in the general commercial zone. Uh, per Sacramento City Code, if the store is more than 40,000 gross square feet, a conditional use permit must be approved by the Planning and Design Commission. Uh, the subject building was previously used by another retail store and was operating under a deemed conditional use permit. In 2020, the retail store closed due to the coronavirus, coronavirus pandemic. Uh, per Sacramento City Code, a deemed CUP is void if it's discontinued for more than one year. Uh, consequently, a new CUP was submitted to the city uh, to establish a new retail store at the site. Uh, planning staff has reviewed the project and supports the conditional use permit request as it will bring a new grocery, as it will bring new grocery services to the area and revitalize the vacant building that was previously used by a, a grocery store. Uh, 
uh, during the review of the project, staff out of the project to various city departments, agencies, and community groups, and those comments or conditions have been incorporated in the staff report uh, this evening. Uh, included in those comments is a letter of support from Mac Road Partnership, and as of today, staff is not aware of any opposition to the project. Uh, today, staff is recommending approval of the CUP and, re and uh, request that the uh, Planning and Design Commission approve the project subject to the recommended conditions of approval and findings of fact found in the staff report. Uh, this concludes my presentation. Uh, the applicant is here today, but as we have this presentation, uh, I'm and that concludes my presentation. I'll be here to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you, Angel. Clerk, do we have any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips on this item. All right, thank you. Uh, now's the time for Commissioner comments, questions, motions, et cetera. Um, Vice Chair Young. Hi, I had a question for the applicant, the owner. Hi, good evening. I'm Randy, uh, we are the architect of record for HMR. Great, um, I, my question is just very simple. I'm sure. just sort of curious um, as far as uh, for the owner, kind of what, what went into their thinking about trying to establish HMR in, in District 8 in that particular area? Uh, the only thing I can say is uh, it's, it's a lot easier to to take advantage of an existing rather than building a new building. So they took, they took that, they're take, we're taking that space and pretty much improving all, everything inside of it for a new supermarket. It's a high end, not high end, but you know, it's a supermarket specialty for Korean type, ethnic type of Asian type of specialty food. And in addition to that, they also have your typical grocery supermarket item other than non-specialty uh, type of, they have fresh produce and fresh seafood and all that type of thing. Great, um, second question, what's sure. the timetable for when you? We are currently okay. in the city for plan check. We received the first comments. So in a couple of weeks we're shooting, well we're shooting for to get it resubmittal. So we're trying to push this thing as quickly as possible. We also got comments from the health department, so that's also in process. So we are, we're there. As soon as, as, soon as all this thing cleared up, they are ready to go. They're all excited to go. Great, thank you. I have no further questions. Thank you. Commissioner, or Chair, Vice Chair Young. Uh, Commissioner Macias-Reed. I'd like to make a motion to approve staff's recommendation. Commissioner Macias Reed. Next up, we have Commissioner Lamas. <laughs> Thank you, Chair. Um, this question is for staff. Um, I was wondering if you can just provide a little bit of clarification um, in terms of terminology. I believe you mentioned this was a deemed CUP. How is that different than a traditional CUP? Um, just kind of curious about that. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, that's the planning terminology that uh, we use every day. But uh, it, a deemed CUP is when a project or a use was operating uh, prior to adoption of a new city code that would require a, a conditional use permit, for example. So 
for example, in this case, the previous tenant was food source, or, um, yeah, f food source, and so they were, the store was approximately 58,000 square feet. And so, and I don't recall when, but in the past couple of years, we passed an ordinance uh, requiring a CUP for a retail stores over 40,000 square feet. And so at that point, it made it a, they had a legal, a legally approved site and operating under, you know, a permit, but they no longer had, the, they didn't have a CUP requirement because they were already operating, so. Okay, so they, they were like grandfathered. Yeah, that's another way of, yeah. Okay, perfect, it. thank you. That, that helped clarify a little bit. Yeah. Great question. Uh, Commissioner Hernandez. Thank you. I actually had the same question. Thank you, Commissioner Lamas. That was something, a new term that I uh, hadn't seen before, so I appreciate the explanation and edification there. Um, I did have one comment, and I just wanted to say um, thank you to the applicant for bringing um, uh, this project forward, um, and I really appreciate that the diversity that um, this particular um, uh, facility um, and use will be bring to the community and to Sacramento. Um, so just wanted to, to make that comment and appreciate that as well. Thank you. And for a second here, <laughs> uh, Commissioner or Vice Chair Young. I'd like to second the motion. All right, we have a motion and a second. Any additional comments or questions? Seeing none, clerk, will you please call the roll? Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute. <clears throat> Commissioner Jean? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Commissioner Hernandez? Aye. Commissioner Masias Reed? Aye. Vice Chair Young? Aye. Commissioner Blunt? Aye. Commissioner Andrade? Absent. Commissioner Thompson? Aye. Chair Wallace? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. Excellent. We're looking forward to having an H marked. <laughs> uh, next item is uh, the Number five, recommendation to adopt the 2040 general plan and climate action and adaptation plan, certify the final master environmental report. Um, uh, we're just gonna do this one a little bit differently. So we'll do staff presentation and then we'll do commissioner questions and then we will open it up for public comment and then we'll bring it back to the dais for the vote. Thank you, Remy. <laughs> Good evening, Chair Wallace and Commissioners. I'm Remy Mendoza with Long Range Planning. It's a pleasure to be here this evening bringing forward the public hearing drafts of the 2040 General Plan and the Climate Action and Adaptation Plan. Recently, on November 29th, staff presented this commission with a red line version of these documents that included proposed changes based on over 1,500 public comments. Based on additional feedback from this commission, the documents have been updated and formatted and we're now proud to come forward requesting that at the con conclusion of this public hearing, the Planning and Design Commission forward to City Council a recommendation to adopt the 2040 General Plan, adopt the Climate Action and Adaptation Plan, and certify the Master Environmental Impact Report. For your reference, attachment three of the staff report includes a few additional changes 
uh, and revisions uh, to these plans since the November 29th Planning Design Commission meeting. In this staff report, the master EIR is included as attachment four, the 2040 general plan is included as attachment nine, and the climate action and adaptation plan is included as attachment 12. This monumental undertaking only occurs about once every 10 years, and I'd like to take a few minutes to provide a recap of our process, highlight some of the key aspects of this plan, and share the next steps. Updating the general plan is important in order to ensure that it remains relevant in addressing the needs of our community. The general plan can be seen as the North Star for the city. It details how we will accommodate housing and job growth over the next 20 years. We're anticipated to grow by 69,000 new homes and 77,000 new jobs by 2040. It changes city policy and directs staff to implement significant actions. Once adopted, all of the city actions pertaining to development will need to be consistent with the 2040 general plan. The, the plan also sets the stage for more detailed plans that will, be, that will be adopted after the 2040 general plan, such as the urban forest plan and the Sacramento parks plan. This 10-year general plan update focuses on updating policies and implementing actions to reflect community conditions and priorities and to address new state laws. Important cornerstones of the 2040 general plan update include a new land use framework, more housing types and more housing near transit, a new environmental justice element, and bold action to address accelerating climate crisis. In parallel, a new, a parallel, a new climate action and adaptation plan was prepared, was prepared in order to establish Sacramento as a leader in climate action. With input from this commission, a bold vision statement was developed that states that in 2040, the city of Sacramento will be a national model of sustainable, equitable growth and community development. The Planning and Design Commission has been instrumental since 2019 when the city embarked on this comprehensive update of the general plan to guide Sacramento in its next area of growth and development in a sustainable and equitable manner. After the vision statement was developed in phase one, in phase two, with input from the Planning and Design Commission, we developed the draft land use map and key strategies that were adopted by city council. In phase three, we worked on developing those ideas into, into fully formed plans for public review and comment. We are now concluding phase four, final plan adoption. A big part of this phase has been gathering community input to develop the final public hearing draft plans. And community input has been integral throughout the entire process. In phase one, we held citywide workshops and community plan area workshops throughout the entire city. We had listening sessions with our hard to reach groups, environmental justice, work, uh, environmental justice working group meetings. We had youth programs, pop-up workshops, and in all, <coughs> we uh, engaged over 700 participants. In phase two, we went virtual with our citywide and community plan area workshops. We continue to have youth-focused youth outreach, at one point integrating a general plan and climate action plan curriculum at Luther Burbank High School in order to engage the youth. We completed a scientific survey as well, and in all, we engaged over 2,200 participants during this phase. Based on community input and the vision and guiding principles, the project team developed 10 key strategies and a draft land use map. This served as a framework for the general plan. 
The key strategies are listed on this screen address housing, corridor revitalization, reduction of greenhouse gases, climate resiliency, environmental justice, roadway reallocations, and parking. Community engagement continued in phase four, an effort to cast a wide net and encourage hard to reach groups to provide comments on the draft general plan and the climate action adaptation plan. Community engagement efforts included self-guided workshops, pop-up events, pop-ups at community events, meetings with community neighborhood organizations, conversations with a planner, council and commission presentations, and social media postings and email blasts. As a result of the community engagement, we received over 1,500 public comments on the general plan and the cap, and over 120 letters. Staff reviewed each and every comment and proposed changes to the general plan and the cap based on this community input. With all of this community input, it all helped shape the hearing drafts of the 2040 general plan that is here before you today. The general plan contains four main parts. Part one is the introduction and sustainability and equity chapter. Part two is the citywide goals and policies. Part three includes the community plans and special study areas. And part four includes the administration and implementation chapter. There are, uh, part, in part two of the general plan, there are also these eight elements that are shown on the screen. As mentioned, these elements contain, all contain goals, policies, and actions to help achieve the, the vision and implement the guiding principles of the general plan. I won't be going into detail uh, with, with each of these elements in this presentation, but uh, in a few slides, I will be highlighting the key aspects of the general plan. Part three of the general plan contains 10 community plans which supplement the citywide policies based on issues that are unique to each community plan area. The community plans are listed here on the screen alphabetically, Arden Arcade, the Central City, East Sacramento, Fruit Ridge Broadway, Greater Land Park, North Natomas, North Sacramento, Pocket Green Haven, the South Area, and South Natomas. Five special study areas are also included in part three of the general plan. The five special study areas include Arden Arcade, the East Study Area, Fruit Ridge Florence Study Area, Natomas Basin Study Area, and the Town of Freeport Study Area. These special study areas are not new boundaries and they are not new designations. The five special study areas are being carried over from the 2035 general plan that was adopted in 2015, and even further back in the 2030 general plan that was adopted in 2009. As I mentioned, the boundaries for the special study areas have not changed. Special study areas reflect areas adjacent to the existing city limits in which careful coordination between the city and the county is required in order to protect natural resources, as well as to efficiently deliver services. The city is obligated to have an interest in trans-regional planning issues adjacent to city limits, such as housing supply, environmental conservation, transportation networks, and economic development. In the Natomas area in particular, the city has a responsibility to carry out the Natomas Basin Habitat Conservation Plan. Therefore, the city has a vested interest in the future of Natomas Basin as a whole and continues to designate it as a special study area. I would also like to note that for state law, the city is required to include a territory outside of its boundary that in its judgment bears a relation to its planning. The state law specifically states that the general plan shall be prepared so that all individual elements of it may be adopted by the legislative body 
and so that it may be adopted by the legislative body for all or part of the territory of the county or city and any other territory outside its boundaries that in its judgment bears relation to its planning. I would now like to spend a few minutes highlighting some of the key bold moves in the 2040 general plan. Throughout the community outreach process, sustainability and equity emerged as overarching themes. As a result, this 2040 general plan includes a brand new sustainability and equity chapter. This chapter provides a summary of how these themes are reflected throughout the entire document. It also identifies a series of indicators that can be used to monitor and evaluate the effectiveness of the general plan in fostering a sustainable and equitable city. Facilitating infill development and housing is also one of the key moves in the 2040 general plan. The topic of housing is primarily covered in the city's housing element that was adopted by council in 2021. This eight-year eight housing strategy was adopted on a different timeline due to adoption requirements by the state. However, the 2040 general plan supports the goals, policies, and actions of the housing element, most notably through the land use and placemaking element. The introduction chapter of the 2040 general plan includes a policy index that lists all the policies and actions for a specific topic. This includes a topic of housing availability, affordability, and preservation, where you will find over 30 policies and actions. Additionally, with the move, from max, move away from maximum density or the number of units per acre to maximum floor area ratio, we will allow more flex flexibility and creativity by focusing on the size of the box rather than the number of housing units within the box for this general plan. Most notably, the 2040 general plan places an even greater emphasis on infill development on commercial corridors and near transits. It focuses on more inclusive neighborhoods and more attainable housing options um, by allowing and encouraging a variety of housing types. We have increased the maximum floor area ratios within a half mile walking distance of transit and will not require new or existing development to provide off street vehicle parking spaces. The maximum floor area ratio map is shown on the diagram on the right of the screen here. On the left-hand side is the land use map, which has been simplified to include only 11 land use designations rather than the 26 in the previous general plan. The land use and the maximum development intensity standards shown in these maps are controlled via these two maps and work together to facilitate infill development and housing, as well as to focus growth strategically in order to reduce BMT, in order to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and support frequent, frequent and reliable transit. Another key move of the 2040 general plan is addressing climate change, air quality, and environmental justice. The link between community design and public health has long been established. Poor air quality from cars and trucks emitting exhaust and facilities that emit toxic gases can lead to negative health outcomes for the community. The general plan focuses on clean air, water, and soil with no segment of the community disproportionately being burdened by environmental conditions. The general plan also introduces a ban on new or expanded gas stations unless fast, charging, fast chargers are being installed. It expands upon transit-oriented development uh, by not allowing drive-throughs within a half-mile walking distance of high-frequency transit. And also building off the Mayor's Commission on Climate Change, uh, we include a modal hierarchy and user prioritization within this general plan, prioritizing walk, biking, and transit over the automobile. 
We also prioritize investment in our underserved and environmental justice communities. The general plan does this by increasing access to parks within a 10-minute walk of every residence. We coordinate resources and investments for Sacramento's historically disenfranchised neighborhoods um, <clears throat> through the Interdepartmental Neighborhood Development Action Team, the NDAP. We support community health and access to healthy foods through healthy food zoning. We'll be updating the planning and development code to protect to and promote healthy food options. The general plan also addresses polluting and incompatible uses near homes and schools. It directs a study of an amortization ordinance that would phase out polluting industries currently located near sensitive receptors. The 2040 general plan also directs development of zoning standards for industrial and manufacturing development in order to minimize or avoid the adverse effects related to air quality, noise, or safety on sensitive populations. In the next few slides, I will be highlighting um, some of the key aspects of the uh, hearing draft for the Climate Action Adaptation Plan. The CAP consists of 10 chapters, the seven supporting the, and seven supporting appendices as shown on the, on the screen here. I would like to highlight chapter six, which contains community greenhouse gas reduction measures. These measures are data-driven and measurable opportunities for reducing greenhouse gas emissions in specific sectors. The measures are supported by approximately 240 actions, which are, are the implementable steps that together will achieve the measures. Chapter seven, the adaptation chapter draws on a climate change vulnerability assessment to identify six adaptation goals that are supported by a range of policies and actions that can build community resilience and reduce the impacts of climate change effects in Sacramento. The CAP includes five built environment measures to address 37% of Sacramento's greenhouse gas emissions that come from the building sector. These measures include supporting SMUD as it implements its 2030 zero carbon plan, as well as eliminating natural gas and new construction. I should mention that the action supporting measure E2 have been revised since the November-based on a Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals amended opinion. This was published just three weeks ago that, and it will impact the enforcement of Sacramento's previously adopted new building electrification ordinance. Another measure has to do with transitioning natural gas in existing buildings to carbon-free electricity. Uh, the planning team is currently revising the draft existing building electrification, electrification strategy. Following an extended public review period, staff anticipates bringing the strategy back to the Planning Design Commission and to the City Council for adoption this spring. <clears throat> the transportation measures included in the cap will address 57% of Sacramento's greenhouse gas emissions that come from the transportation sector. It will do this by reducing vehicle miles traveled by support, supporting modal shifts from local traffic from cars to active transportation and transit, as well as by supporting zero emission vehicle adoption by identifying actions to ensure that Sacramento has adequate zero emission vehicle charging infrastructure. Additional measures will reduce greenhouse gas emissions from the waste sector, the water, and wastewater sectors. The final measures will support carbon sequestration through the expansion of urban tree canopy. The CAP also <clears throat> provides policy direction for adoption to, pro to project climate change impacts. The climate change vulnerability assessment identified key climate change impacts in Sacramento, including temperature increases, changes in precipitation patterns, increased flood risk, and increased regional wildfires with air quality impacts in Sacramento. 
the adaptation chapter also identified six primary adaptation priorities and associated goals. These include city government capacity to implement climate adaptive strategies, extreme heat and urban heat island effect, mitigation to flooding, air quality impacts of wildfires and heat, preparedness for climate disaster events and water supply availability and water conservation. This concludes a high level overview of the CAP. In terms of the next steps for the general plan and the CAP, tonight staff is recommending that at the conclusion of this public hearing, the Planning Design Commission forward to City Council a recommendation to certify the Master EIR, adopt the 2040 General Plan, and adopt the, cl the Climate Action Adaptation Plan. The City Council public hearing for adoption of these documents is tentatively scheduled for February 27th. The anticipated effective date of the 2040 General Plan and CAP would be March 28th. Implementation actions would there then be ongoing and monitoring and reporting uh, would happen annually. This concludes my presentation. Our amazing staff and cons our wonderful consulting team are also here and available if you have any questions. Thank you. Thank you, Remy. Uh, as I mentioned previously, we're gonna take commissioner questions first for staff and then we will have public comment and then we'll bring it back to the dais for the vote. So that being said, are there any Questions or comments from the commissioners? Uh, my, is it Commissioner Chase? Okay. <laughs> Remy, thank you for the uh, presentation. Uh, very good, very thorough, very concise. <clears throat> um, I have a question. I, you know, in addition to this, I'm, I'm the designated representative for Planning Design Commission on the parking uh, analysis study uh, that's ongoing. And there have been some some issues raised in there that we're looking at, and I want to kind of see how this could apply to the uh, general plan adoption. There are certain things that I think probably need to be phased in rather than just cut date uh, upon adoption related to parking. Um, and, you know, one that comes to mind, for instance, is, uh, you know, the, the uh, increase of, uh, you know, I, I think no, no drive-through, certain things that are increasing from a quarter-mile radius to a half-hour radius around uh, uh, stations, you know, uh, transit stations, and I guess that's existing and planned stations, as I recall. Um, and, and the reason I, I wonder this, and I think a previous commissioner had some of these concerns as well, um, there are certain things that, for instance, you know, light rail to the airport, uh, what are we thinking, you know, 10 or 20 years out, it's, it's not going to happen next week. Uh, yet some of these things would, adoptions would apply to p potential stations throughout Natomas all the way to the airport that may not ever happen. Um, and I guess my question is, and this again is a discussion in the parking uh, study as well, is there a way to phase the implementation of these things to kind of track along with, you know, adoption of things such as that, um, such that, you know, Natomas gets a, you know, a, a certain period of time to see if in fact they are gonna get public transportation before some of these other things that do apply wisely in other parts of the city uh, would also occur there. So I guess it's, it's kind of a, you know, rather than a one size fits all, is there a way that this, uh, uh, these conditions can be adopted over a phase or a tiered uh, uh, man manner? Good evening, Commissioner. My name is Matt Hurdle, Principal Planner. Thank you for your question and thank you for your participation on the Parking Study Working Group, appreciate that. So. 
as the general plan is written, uh, the policies in the general plan before you tonight would be effective uh, 30 days after council adoption. So right now we're anticipating March 28th. Um, so that's based on uh, input we've received uh, over these years um, from the public uh, as well as direction. And so that's what we're recommending tonight. So the policies as written would be in effect uh, as 30 days after adoption city council. With that said, things like um, the parking and the parking study that's going right now, we're gonna be working very closely with the parking services division on our parking management uh, uh, approach and strategy, make sure we roll that out, um, as well as our transit, uh, transportation demand management approach and ordinance that's being updated now. Um, so there are you know, parallel strategies and actions that we'll be taking um, as we roll out uh, the parking strategies. Thank you, Matt. Um, I guess, am I still on? Uh, can those in any way be tied to, uh, you know, a, a, again, a phased in implementation rather than that 30 days after while these other studies are ongoing? So the, the recommendation, I think you're specifically talking about policy that would no longer require off-street uh, minimum parking, is that, is that correct? So the recommendation in the hearing draft would that would be uh, going to effect 30 days after council adoption and developments would no longer uh, have to require a minimum level or minimum number of spaces. However, uh, developments as the market demands, they can continue to, to provide parking. Just as a city, we would not mandate a minimum level of parking. And, and what about going back to the potential stations throughout Natomas and the increase from one quarter, inch, uh, one quarter mile to half mile radius? Is there, you know, is that, can that differ in any way from different, again, getting away from the one size fits all throughout the city? So the public review draft of the general plan, as you may recall, uh, did have the, uh, I believe you're talking about the drive-through prohibition policy, okay. So this uh, policy was written to prohibit drive-through restaurants within a quarter mile uh, walking distance of high frequency transit defined as uh, existing in Sacartee adopted or planned light rail stations includes the Green Line, as well as high frequency bus routes with headways of 15 minutes or less, and that's um, currently bus route 1 and bus route 51. Based on uh, public comment and input, there was a number of comments that requested that uh, either drive-through restaurants, new, new drive-through restaurants be prohibited entirely, or that that uh, distance be expanded. Based on the, the input that we received, staff is recommending increasing that to a half mile. And this is basically the next step or iteration of the TOD ordinance that was adopted by council in 2018 that discourages drive-throughs and other auto-centric uses uh, within a half mile and prohibits within a quarter mile of light rail stations. So this would just basically take that to the next step. Uh, staff presented the red line revisions to Planning Design Commission on November 29th uh, and uh, um, based on uh, you know, that meeting and, and continued support, we are recommending uh, that as a policy as part of this. But no exceptions related to planned uh, stations. I mean, existing stations, I totally understand that. Yeah. Except that but the planned, which again, may, may not even, some of these may not even occur before the next, you know, certainly the next uh, general plan comes along. Yes, and you know, staff's recommendation is that, you know, as you know, land use is once built uh, and auto-centric land uses, 
they have a very long life, right? And so we're planning for the future around our, our transit stations that are planned um, and really making sure that those areas around high frequency transit are for transit oriented development and not autocentric uses. We did with a methodology, we were very thoughtful with the methodology instead of using as a crow flies half mile, we use as a walking distance because we recognize that there are barriers in some cases, you know, freeways or, or train tracks and, and other things that isn't a true measurement of your ability to walk uh, um, to transit or to amenities or to housing. And so we um, have been using the, the walking distance methodology. So that's, you know, half miles about a, a 10 minute walk, which we think is a very reasonable um, walk shed. All right, thank you. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Chase. Uh, next we have, we'll hear from Commissioner Blunt. Thank you, thank you, Chair. Um, and I wanna thank the staff for all of their hard work. Um, it's really impressive, incredible feat. Um, and thank you for the presentation. Uh, I do have a question about the outreach. I noticed that there was a, a scientific survey that was done, and I'm curious, uh, I, I just love surveys, so I'm kind of curious about the results and the actual survey itself. Like, is that a publicly available or is that something public has to request? <clears throat> Uh, yes, Commissioner Blunt, the um, survey was conducted by a professional polling firm. Uh, we have the results that are posted on our project website. We'd be happy to forward that to you. Yeah. And uh, they uh, provide help uh, confirm the direction of the general plan as we were uh, developing the draft land use map and key strategies. And uh, so staff continue to work uh, based on that direction. I, yeah, I just love to see people's responses to questions and <laughs> kind of see where uh, the temperature is. With uh, people on public opinions. Um, but yeah, uh, I also have a question about the um, outreach. I know from um, my interactions with staff, like how hard it is to actually uh, reach populations and, and residents. And, um, and I'm just curious, um, you, within the general plan, it mentions um, interested stakeholders, um, particularly around um, the incentives um, for, for um, land use development. And I'm curious, like, I didn't see anything in the presentation about um, uh, outreach, like that sort of outreach. And I was wondering if that was a part of that, uh, what, what, what you presented. Uh, with a specific uh, stakeholder that you were interested in? Yeah, I guess, I guess my, um, Yes, yes, well, if, if there were um, any like specific, uh, you know, outreach um, events that were sort of open to the public, but were also like specifically minded to um, whether that was like, you know, construction or to um, like, how did, how did that all work out? <clears throat> yeah, that's a good question. Um, we did make a concerted effort to engage with like the North Building Industry Association, the development community. Um, we had focus group meetings where we had a specific um, invitation that were made out to the development community in order to really stress test kind of our proposals within our land use element. And so we did make a concerted effort to undertake that outreach. Okay, thank you. That's Thank you, Commissioner Blunt. Uh, next we have Commissioner Zhang. Thank you, Chair. 
Um, I wanted to kind of piggyback on what Commissioner Chase was talking about regarding the, um, the drive-through and the half-mile radius. Um, so I live in North Natomas, actually, and it is a very car-dependent area um, of the city. And you had mentioned possibly 10 to 20 years out before the light rail station is um, constructed out there. I've heard longer 20 to 30 years from multiple sources throughout the years. Um, I, I, I can appreciate and understand the goal to um, reduce um, cars on the road, gas emissions, um, but as it currently stands, um, we have to drive everywhere we, everywhere we go pretty much. Um, I think that um, if there's a possibility to work with um, some of the um, members of the public who commented regarding um, maybe currently existing um, projects that may be affected by this ordinance, um, I would like to see that discussed a little bit more just because I, again, for those of us who currently live there and um, we're looking at 20 years out before this light rail station is built, I think having accessibility to um, to whatever the project is coming into that area, it's it's it would be, it's something that I think the community would appreciate as, as a very car dependent um, community. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there and for the public record, thank you, thank you. And if I might, Commissioner, thank you very much for that comment. And one thing I know that is being explored at this time and is although um, the Green Line extension may be a number of years away, I know there are discussions at this time about potential bus rapid transit or high frequency bus service, um, given that there is uh, a lot of that the land has been dedicated to set aside for transit in the future. So I know that that's something that, that uh, is being explored at least. So, Thank you, Commissioner Zhang. Uh, next, we'll hear from Commissioner Lamas. Um, this question is for staff. Um, I'll piggyback on, on this topic in terms of um, the, the planned light rail and rapid bus, uh, bus uh, transit. Um, I'm in uh, District 3, so I'm in South Potomac. Um, it's going to run through, the proposal has it running through Truxel. Um, but I am kind of curious um, about what's intact right now. Um, plan uh, uh, developments that wanted to include a drive-through, would they have the ability to be approved in the current environment, the way the general plan is? And is the city looking to um, uh, institute a mechanism for, um, to plan for the future around this light rail? Um, so I'm just curious about like, what's in effect now and, and how this is going to change that in March. If the uh, general plan is adopted as proposed and it would go into uh, be effective 30 days after that, so unless, so if a drive-through restaurant wanted to uh, be located, a new drive-through restaurant wanted to be located within a half mile walking distance of transit, uh, unless they had a, an improved planning application prior to the effective general plan, it would not be consistent with a general plan um, and we would not be able to support that. Uh, with that said, um, do want to note that we, you know, we've done some analysis on drive-throughs in the city and there are approximately 125 drive-through restaurants that exist today um, and many of which are within that half mile already. And so it's really about um, ensuring that future land uses really do support the, our need to uh, shift 
modes and have more folks ride transit and really developed. And a lot of, as you know, a lot of this general plan is really about preserving that land within half a mile around high frequency transit for uh, employment centers and housing so that we can really limit vehicle miles traveled, uh, increase walkability, et cetera. So from staff's perspective, it's really important to think about uh, the future of that half mile around high frequency transit. Perfect, thank you for that clarification. And I did have a uh, kind of separate question about procedures. Uh, procedurally, what would happen? I know there was a, a discussion about um, some of the um, climate goals, and I think there are some new laws that are that are work that have been enacted, and the city's trying to incorporate those into the general plan. Um, what is the process um, that takes place if there's a law that gets passed that impacts requirements from cities? Is there like an amendment that gets added to the general plan once it's approved, um, or do we just like work outside? We just defer to the current law even if it's outside of the general plan. And I think this was about like the gas and the requirements for that. So you're asking if the state passes a law that contradicts what our current general plan says? Yes. Yes, so we follow state law. We would do a preemption analysis and see if it's proper preemption, but yes, we would follow state law which they change all the time. And we don't generally, um, yeah, it just depends what it is. Sometimes we update our zoning code. Sometimes we just do what they tell us. It just depends what it is, but we would follow the law. Okay, thank you. So it sounds like we wouldn't necessarily have to do an update to the general plan. There would just be an understanding that we would follow state law. Yes, okay. yeah. It would really just depend what particular thing it was in terms of how the city responds to it, where we put it in our code, or if it's something we can all just agree, oh, we're preempted. But um, yes, we would absolutely follow state law. And, and I'll just add, that's one of the unique things about uh, the city of Sacramento and our commitment to reevaluating and updating our general plan every five years. And every five years is a kind of a technical update, but part of that is really looking at state law around general plan requirements. And we, we go through that process and, and update it uh, and then, of course, we're in the 10-year update now, doing the big comprehensive one. Perfect. Thank you. I yield my time. Thank you, Commissioner Lamas. Uh, next, we'll hear from Commissioner Caden. And then right before you speak, uh, I just wanted, if we had anybody join, um, we will not take speaker slips after we start the public comment for this item. So if you want to speak, please turn in a slip before we have a few more speakers at the dais. Commissioner Caden. Thank you, Chair. Um, just, just on this drive-through point, um, it, you know, I think we all are interested in seeing light rail or, or some sort of fixed route transit get into Natomas, be it BRT or light rail. I just want to make the point that, you know, dr like these auto-oriented drive-throughs do make the viability of future transit more difficult. And so I think that's part of what we're trying to do here is to preserve the ability for us to pursue these strategies in the future and not handicap ourselves moving forward. Um, I'll also mention, you know, just because it's a currently auto-oriented area does not mean that necessarily that we, we need to have a drive-through as a part of an establish in order for that business to be viable. Um, I grew up in San Luis Obispo. There's been a citywide ban on drive-throughs since 1982. The, all of the sort of businesses that typically would have a drive-through in your, you know, 
like a Taco Bell or whatever, that type of establishment, they all exist, they do very well, and it's been a while, but I think there was some statistic that literally the Taco Bell in San Luis Obispo was like the highest grossing in the nation without a drive-through. It is very possible, right? So uh, I think, it, to me, it is still the right move to kind of pursue this kind of expansion of a ban on drive-throughs. I will, I will also say I, I am pretty sympathetic to um, folks who have expressed concerns around uh, you know, projects that, have, that are already kind of started and going through this sort of entitlement process and have probably made financial investments, including putting together applications um, under kind of this assumption that they would be able to at least come before um, you know, the Planning Commission or some sort of discretionary body to uh, uh, you know, pursue a drive-through. Uh, and this is, again, I, I understand it's already precluded in the, in the zero to fourth mile. This is just for the fourth mile to half mile area. So I, I guess my question is, is it, would it be possible you know, uh, for these specific edge cases where, say, somebody already has a pre-application in, but not you know, a formalized application or, or might not be formally like, approved by the time the, the end of March date that you described? Would there be a grandfathering process that could be possible for those specific situations? Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, that wouldn't be staff's recommendation. Um, there, we could look at the feasibility of that in terms of legality. I think that would be a legal uh, approach that we could take, but that's not staff's recommendation, nor has it been our um, the way that we've done business with the general plan. You know, once it's adopted, you need to be consistent with the general plan unless you have an approved project. I guess I'll wait till till comment section. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Cajun. Uh, next, we'll hear from Commissioner Hernandez. Thank you, Chair. I want to keep on the same theme that we're talking about, um, and want to ask in terms of process and legality on TOD from the quarter mile to half mile on what it would take to include some language on flexibility. There's, I know we've had a discussion on phasing in. Um, but what would need to happen if moving forward this body decides that there ought to be some flexibility around this move from quarter mile to half mile uh, being station specific? So if we're talking about what Commissioner Caden was suggesting, which is really, if I understand correctly, a pipeline exemption for projects that are currently pending, that is legal. It would just be a policy discussion for whether you want no. That's not my question. My question okay, I'm sorry. is, um, for example, I, I agree with what Commissioner Katie is saying and what the other commissioner have said around this. Um, as an example, uh, it might make sense in certain areas where there are current stations where, to expand to half mile. It might or might not make sense in the Natomas area to uh, go from a quarter mile to a half a mile when it's not uh, been built yet. Then. I'll speak specifically to District 6, where we have heavy, heavy industrial, and it's not safe or appropriate to have a half mile because people, it's not safe for them to walk within a half mile in that area. So that's what I mean about station specific and having either a phased in approach or uh, some flexibility around the character and what's appropriate for the local context. That makes sense. Thank you. Yes, it just the policies would need to change before adoption. That would need to be thought out. What do we want to look like? What do you want this to look like? How would you want it to be rolled out? What types of considerations? It can obviously be broad, broad brush, but 
the policy would need to change before it's presented for adoption. Okay. So that was my question about the process. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Hernandez. So point of order on that, um, if we were to like take that up as a recommendation when we forward to council, we would just say we'd like to direct their attention to something like that, but we would make the motion to forward it. <laughs> yeah. Right, so your recommendation now, staff recommendation is to forward the project as is. So your a potential motion would be forward a recommendation of approval with these changes. And staff would forward that information and it sounds like with their their own opinion also, but yes, you would just make a motion. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it looks like we have no further comments from the dais for now. So we will, uh, clerk, do we have any speakers on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have 15 speaker slips. Um, the first speaker is Nilden N. Charles. Good evening, Commissioners. My name is Nilden John Charles, and I'm a field representative for the NorCal Companies Union. And I want to um, just thank the staff for putting in all this hard work for um, the work that they did over the last um, few years. Um, uh, so, with all the work that you guys did, I just want to say that um, uh, in, in going through everything, it looked like it, it contains countless forward-thinking initiatives and policies. For example, encouraging coordination with informed stakeholders like our like organizations on development, growth, and competitiveness. Um, we look forward to working with the city and accomplishing goals of workshop training as we. Uh, know firsthand how important it is to strengthen the middle class. Uh, we also plan to work with the city staff and others to help ensure that the general plan environmental goals concerning runoff, emission reduction at job sites are met. As we, as, as the Carpenters Union, are already monitoring those projects for crimes being committed against workers on a daily basis. Within the land use portion of it and the placemaking section um, with the 2040 general plan it encourages the city to continue using incentives to attract developers. We as the carpenters are in support of the development, but we also believe the true sustainable, um, equitable growth is contingent on the cities um, reserving these types of incentive for developers who are willing to earn um, them by joining collective goal of workshop training, for example, um, requiring um, folks to utilize apprenticeship on these on these job sites. Uh, the incentive should be provided to companies that require each worker on the job site has health care and also being paid prevalent wage. Um, incentives should also be contingent on these companies being compliant in these terms of our community partnership. Uh, and again, I want to thank the staff for, for their hard work and um, we at the Knockout Companies Union is looking for. Uh, we're going to be proud to be partners in making the 2040 general plan success in bringing sustainable, equitable growth in the city of Sacramento. Thank you for giving me the time to speak.
Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Susan Heave. Good evening, uh, commissioners. Uh, thank you very much for this hearing tonight. My name is Susan Harry. I'm the president of the board of directors of the Environmental Council of Sacramento. I'm an architect and urban planner, and I live in Natomas. ECOS is a coalition of 17 community-based organizations and about 1,000 individuals throughout the Sacramento region. First, ECOS would like to say thank you to the staff for all the good work on the general plan, the CAP, and the EIR, and the many good policies therein. Um, we'd also like to say thank you for reinserting the biological resource protections section in the general plan. We noticed it was missing, and I guess you did too, and put it back in. Uh, second, comments may be forthcoming on the EIRs, but separately, but not tonight. And third, tonight we would ask that you recommend to the City Council to remove the special study area in Natomas from the general plan because it seems to imply the expectation of development. We do appreciate what Remy Mendoza said earlier about respecting and upholding the Natomas Basin Habitat Conservation Plan. So a number of speakers tonight will elaborate on this request. And so we ask as you prepare your recommendation to the City Council regarding the general plan document that you consider all of the comments that follow. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Robert Burness. Good evening. My name is Robert Burness. I am co-chair of Habitat 2020, a coalition of a number of environmental organizations in Sacramento that promote the protection of habitat and open space. North of Thomas is the only study area in the city's draft general plan that comprises only undeveloped acreage. This important distinction is the focus of our concern. A bit of history supports the rationale behind a request to remove the Natomas Basin study area from the general plan. The city adopted the Natomas Basin Habitat Conservation Plan, the HCP, and its implementing MOU with the state and feds in 1997 five years before the city and the county approved the Natomas Joint Vision Study Area, MOU, establishing the vision for land use in the area. That agreement assigned responsibilities for development to the city and the preservation of open space, habitat, and agriculture to the county. Clearly, there is a conflict here. Six months later, pursuant to litigation on the HCP, the city readopted the HCP and the MOU. In doing so, it recommitted to preserve open space and agricultural uses in the Thomas area. Despite this disconnect between the two agreements, the joint vision process continued for several years. But as time progressed, the city turned to other pressing issues. Sacramento County proceeded to take the lead in proceeding uh, with the two large development proposals in North Natomas. Uh, 
Uh, 10 years or so after submittal of these projects, they are still on hold, a consequence of the considerable challenges for new development within the Natomas Basin. In other jurisdictions, study area plan designations are intended to signal the jurisdiction's own interest in supporting annexation and development of the area. Elk Grove's general plan um, provides a textbook example of this. Continuing the designation on the city's general plan plat for, for North Natomas, despite the text in the map, in the plan, conveys the same message and provides a rationale for requests to annex other lands within the Natomas Basin for urban de development. The compelling truth is that some 7,500 acres of land proposed for development in the county, plus some additional proposed for annexation in the city, would make it impossible to implement the HCP that the city is committed to support contractually with the federal government and the state government. Continuing to identify the unincorporated area of North Natomas as a study area for development, despite the language in the text narrative in the draft plan, is disingenuous at best and clear in clear conflict with other goals at worst. Among those, uh, we will have other speakers that will address those goals. In closing, we think that it is far better to replace the study area with new policy language about working with the county to... Thank you for your comment. Your time is now up. Our next speaker is Sean Worth. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Sean Worth. I'm a resident of Curtis Park. I'm also the conservation chair for the Motherload chapter of the Sierra Club, which comprises 24 Northern California counties. I provided some comments electronically, which I was going to read tonight. I'm going to shift it up a little bit and address the presentation about the Natomas Basin study area, because I don't think it was quite on target and was a bit misleading. It was presented that this study area is needed because this is part of the Natomas Basin Habitat Conservation Plan. We need to be sure that we're properly implementing that plan. That plan, the conservation strategy for it, stipulates in no uncertain terms that areas outside of the covered development is to remain in agriculture, pure and simple. That was based upon science. That was based upon the best available experts after it was mentioned that we need to have a special study area to make sure the habitat conservation plan is implemented properly, two other things came up. One was the extension of urban services, and the second was economic development. This was an area, habitat conservation plan clearly stated it needed to be kept in agriculture in order for the plan to work, in order for the strategy to work for the species that were contained in that plan so they would not be extirpated from this region. So you take these preserves that are already created, you have the ongoing special study area, and what does that mean? As Rob indicated earlier, many other parts of the county, many other parts of the state, when you have a special study area, that's the first entree to considering development. Well, who thinks it might be developed when it's a special study area? How about landowners? So when the conservation entity comes and says, hey, we'd like to buy your land, well, I expect a lot of money because this is going to be developed because it's in the special study area. I don't know if you guys remember the mitigation for the Greenbrier project. This was a project outside of the Nomas Basin Plan. They had to purchase a Swainson's Hawk mitigation, a conservation preserve for the Swainson's Hawk, within 200 miles of a runway. A bird preserve within 200 miles of a runway. 200 feet. 200 feet. Oh, 200 feet. I gave a lot more credit. With 200 feet of the runway. So this is a bird that could cause a crash 
This was the only land that was available. The fact this is a special study area leads to that. It's an expectation. So speculative prices end up inflating not only the cost, but it, it greatly reduces the available inventory for purchase. So it, it really should not have that designation. If you guys are completely serious about supporting that plan, support the plan. The plan study said no development, period. So just carry that through in the general plan. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Don Whitney. Good evening, commissioners. Hi, I'm Don Whitney. I live in District 6, and I'm here. I'm also with ECOS, and I'm here to likewise oppose the inclusion of a special study area in the Natomas Basin. I wanted to talk just briefly about how, how that inclusion will directly conflict with the goals of the CAP which a lot of time and energy was put into creating. That CAP outlined some goals that should be adhered to or strive toward and that development would under, um, eliminate. The, the CAP um, asked the city to look at opportunities to acquire new open space and parkland in flood-prone and repetitive loss areas of the city. It also requires that we improve carbon sequestration through gearing space, tree canopies, et cetera, and thirdly, support infill growth, not sprawl. Support the growth with the goal of 90% of new growth established within um, already existing and center quarter communities. The cap also notes the creation of heat islands and the dangers that come with them, including uh, respiratory problems, sunstroke, and even fatal heat stroke. These heat islands congregate around, uh, no surprise, pavement and buildings, etc. And the temperatures in these islands get trapped, and at night, what's released is significantly um, hotter than what the sun is beating down. A sun of 105 degrees will beat on light concrete which will rise to 120 degrees at night. That's, that's deadly in, in many respects. Um, the, the inclusion of all of this extra industrial space also creates incredible more vehicle miles traveled, which creates more carbon emissions, and it in turn it, uh, causes more energy use as people turn on their air conditioning to, to cool everything at night. Um, it, it just um, it emits more carbon and greenhouse gases, so we, it, it's kind of a doom loop. You, you, that you have to cool that down because of, that's, because of that release. Um, and in, in conclusion, I would argue that there's no reason to uh, make this a special study area. There's nothing compelling other than the prospect of sprawl. And the environmental issues that I'm presenting are also not viable long-term economic issues. There's, there's, there's a shelf life on how far you can uh, uh, develop. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Betsy Whelan. Let's see. Is, is this as low as this goes? I guess you can see me, huh? I don't look like a disembodied voice here. 
<laughs> Good evening, commissioners. My name is Betsy Weiland, and these comments are offered on behalf of the Sierra Club Sacramento Group. But quickly before I start, I'm going to jam through my comments. But I picked up this magazine this evening back there, America's Farm to Fork Capital, Sacramento. So I'd like you to listen to the discussion tonight and these comments in light of, of that statement. Sierra Club wants to add important information to this discussion regarding the 30 by 30 plan adopted by the state legislature and Governor, Governor Newsom. The 30 by 30 plan is aligned with a global campaign designed to halt mass extinction of species and the devastation of ecologically important natural systems to aid in the effort to halt the worst impacts of climate change by 2030. It's crucial that we participate locally and take definitive steps to conserve 30% of the Sacramento region's lands to address the impacts of the climate crisis, conserve water, maintain air quality, and preserve natural areas. The Sacramento region has lost much of its historical habitat and farmland to urban development and continues to experience threats of development to what remains of our open lands which have become surrogate habitat for many threatened and endangered species and provide valuable carbon sequestration. Incre incorporating more land in Atomas into the city's general plan increases the potential for more development there and puts our region in danger of falling far short of important land conservation goals. The total Sacramento region's land mass included in the scope of the, 20, of the 30 by 30 plan is almost 4 million acres. The existing total of already protected areas stand at only 7% of this land mass. If our area is to meet the goal, an additional 900,000 plus acres must be conserved. If the county and cities conserve more easily accessible open lands, specifically lands in Natomas, we could handily expand the total protected area to 19%, still putting our region far behind in reaching the desired goal of 30%. By comparison, the San Francisco Bay Area has already conserved close to the proposed 30% of lands with protected parklands, waterways, conservation easements, and open space. Sierra Club is asking that the Natomas Basin area of Sacramento County be excluded from being added to the general plan as an area of special study, which would encourage speculation for development. Our region must be able to achieve the 30 by 30 plan and concurrently achieve the city and county climate action plan goals. Preserving open space is the only way that we can reasonably achieve these goals and deserve, frankly, this title we've given ourselves. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is James Pachill. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Jim Pachill. Uh, I'm presently living in Fair Oaks, but I lived in downtown Sacramento for a very long time, and I'm here on behalf of the Friends of the Swenson Hawk, a uh, threatened species in, the, uh, in California, and as it happens, has a whole lot of nests along the Sacramento River in the Natomas area. Uh, the, there's been some talk about the Natomas Basin HCP. Uh, the, this, the fact that the HCP permits 17,500 acres of development is not just was not picked out of the blue sky. 
the, uh, there was over a number of years, studies were done, uh, a good deal of controversy uh, arose, and the upshot was that the wildlife agencies determined that the basin could accommodate 17,500 acres of urban development, both here and up in Sutter County, by the way, uh, provided that uh, development was mitigated by one with a half acre of preserve for every acre developed, which really isn't very much. The eight acre of one half to one is, is, isn't very good. And the rest of the basin would stay in agriculture, which provided some habitat for the species and also was uh, good for itself. I mean, we like agriculture. Uh, the city agreed to this. And as did Sutter County, Sutter has a 7,400-acre permit area, which will, will develop uh, at some point in time. It's not land that's available for mitigation for Sacramento's uh, development. And uh, already the city is, seems to be wanting to uh, welsh on the deal, to, to go beyond what is that they agreed to limit their development to. And quite frankly, uh, this is not going to work. Uh, and uh, I would urge us, to, urge you to take the Natomas Basin out of the uh, designation of study area and honor its, the city's commitments. And hopefully, uh, we will preserve agriculture in the basin. And I might add that uh, there are 17,400 acres up in Sutter County, which is not going to be available for agriculture uh, when, uh, when it develops. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Judith Lemire. Good evening, commissioners. And thank you for this opportunity to speak. I uh, wanted to show some maps, starting off with the, the, the map that's in the plan of the Natoma study area, which you see, 18,000 acres. Uh, I don't know why we need a study acre of 18,000. You know, it's a legacy from prior years. It's, this is ancient history and bureaucratic inertia. We're just going to keep on keeping on. But the fact is, you've built a preserve out there. The Natomas Basin Conservancy preserve lands are shown here in three locations. The permit here, I'm going to show you a real complicated map now to make a point. There's the Sutter County line. The red checks are permitted development. Those areas are developing. The, the green and yellow and multi-pattern and, you know, those are preserved permanently habitat areas, wetlands, and uplands. So you can see that these proposed developments in purple, every one of them would have serious impacts, be built right next to preserves and have very serious impacts on the plan, on the strategy, and uh, I think also on us, because right now we have a big open area of agriculture and habitat quite near the city. And people love open space. Recent polls by Valley Vision have shown that people really care about open space for 
quality of life, and they think our biggest problem is homelessness and the cost of housing. This is what the city plan, as presented by Remy, is supposed to deal with and has set it front and center, set the table. We're going to do something. We're going to do it right. But there's a back door. The back door says, oh, but we might develop out here in the farmland. That's ridiculous. This city is way beyond that kind of thinking. And you notice the planning staff doesn't really present that. They don't say, oh, well, we might annex, we might develop. But that's what a special study area is. Page 7 of the general plan says, the special study areas are areas that we would consider for annexation. Believe me, we do not want you to consider anything in Natomas for annexation. This is a very impacted area. We have to protect it for ourselves and for the species. Thank you for your time tonight. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Harriet Steiner. Good evening, thank you for the opportunity to speak to you. Um, like the speakers before me, I would request that you remove the study area, the basin from the study area. Uh, I'm a resident of North Natomas. We have lived there for three years or so, coming from the wilds of agriculture in Clarksburg. Um, but because of the open space that's there right now, um, that's shown in the HCP and the many other planning documents, we get to enjoy thousands of birds every single day beautiful rice fields, um, geese going over our house. So the wildlife, and, and know that the wildlife has a place to rest on its way through the fly, um, down the flyway. And so it's really important, I think, to myself and my neighbors um, that all this open space be conserved, as was shown um, and talked about just recently in the HCP and the other planning documents. Um, and so Natomas is a really special place. Um, and, you know, we have flooding issues, but the open space gives us some um, flexibility for potential new flooding. We're looking at rain coming through. We're hoping it stays in the farmland and doesn't come into the developed area. We're, we've been looking, as you've, several of you have noticed that and talked about, that we have vir virtually no transportation, mass transportation, in Natomas, and it's not coming anywhere soon. We cannot take a bus downtown. Um, not during the week, not during the weekends. Um, we drive everywhere we go, um, and we would like the city potentially to focus on additional um, infrastructure needed by the people in North Natomas before even looking, and I think your language does indicate that you're going to open that area to development, or at least to speculative land development um, and purchasing. Um, North Natomas really needs some infrastructure work. Um, we need bridges and other things like that, and it would be good to prioritize those um, infrastructure um, requirements before um, we start turning our open space and our conservation areas into new development land. Um, and, you know, I would say that, like, um, 
if you really need to keep this area in a special development area, you sh a special study area, you should look at your language and make sure that it's clear, that it's not really a blank check for everybody to start buying and selling property and opening up that area, which is an important, vital area for which public dollars and private dollars have been spent for conservation easements for the last 20 years or more um, for development, that there's areas, other areas within Sacramento that are equally or, or better, are better um, suited for that, and the areas in Sutter, in Sutter County should not be ignored either. So we really think it should be um, taken out of the um, study area in its entirety, and if not, the language, I, for myself, the language should change to clarify that this is not an invitation for Thank you for your comment. Your time is now up. Our next speaker is Corrine Gardner. Comments tonight? Um, my name is Corinne Gartner, and I am here as a concerned citizen and a voter, a mother, and a resident of North Natomas. I live in the Westlake neighborhood and my home is right across the street from the current city boundary and faces part of the land that is part of the Natomas Basin study area that we're talking about. Um, I urge you to remove the Natomas Basin special study area designation from the general plan. I echo all the environmental concerns voiced by the previous speakers. It's imperative that we preserve this land as open space and farmland. And as a homeowner in Westlake, an established residential neighborhood, I'm also gravely concerned about the detrimental impact that developing this land would have both on property values in our neighborhood and quality of life for my family and our Westlake neighbors. I moved to Westlake to be close to downtown and also close to open space. My kids walk and bike to school every day. Their route takes them right along the current city boundary. We frequently see coyotes, jackrabbits, snakes, all kinds of birds in the open space adjacent to our home. And it breaks my heart that the city is even open to the possibility of paving over this land and allowing acres of unnecessary warehouses, because that's what it would be, to be built. It disgusts and saddens me to think about this wild land being replaced by industrial development and heavy truck traffic. Um, I think that's wholly inconsistent with some of the goals that were talked about tonight in the general plan about keeping pollution and things like that away from schools and homes. Um, our community is already seeing the disastrous effects of climate change with extreme weather and other alarming changes becoming our modern reality. And I urge you not to aggravate this problem by opening the door to more development in Natomas. So again, as a concerned constituent and mother who lives in North Natomas, I implore you to remove the Natomas Basin Special Study Area designation from the general plan. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Nancy Snyder. Very happy to be here. Um, my name is Nancy Snyder. I have lived in Sacramento off and on for 40 years and have lived in North Natomas for 20 years. I live in Heritage Park, uh, which is on the border of the city and the county is where our area is. It's an active community of people age 55 years or older 
We have 60 well-attended clubs, ranging from sports, uh, arts, uh, social events, and political interests. We are also active in the North Natomas Community Coalition. We're a community of 950 homes, 1,750 residents approximately, and 90% of us vote. So I'm here as the co-lead of the Progressive Study Group, which um, was invited, uh, has invited local change agent leaders to uh, inform our whole community about the development and growth plan for North Natomas. We've invited uh, representatives, leaders from ECOS, Friends of the Swainson Hawk, the Natomas Basins Conservancy, Supervisor Phil Cerna, and our uh, councilwoman, uh, Lisa Kaplan, to speak about the proposed development and to start a dialogue about the future. And this is a chance for us to talk to you about it, and we're very pleased to be here. What we learned from these leaders has activated our community to get involved in the county and city planning process and to make our position known to community leaders. So thank you for letting us come and talk with you. I do also support the removal of the Natomas Special Study Area from the General Plan. As you've heard, it contradicts the goals of the General Plan and would have a detrimental effect on our community. Our concerns of this, if these changes are not made include obviously the impact on local climate and environment, the lack of funds and leadership to address the current infrastructure issues and needs in North Natomas and our quality of life. So I'm gonna quickly move into a personal uh, a piece of information. It's a personal note that reflects why this is important to me and to our community. As a child, my family had a cabin cruiser and we spent most of the weekends and six weeks in the summer on the McCallamy River. That's where I learned my love of the natural world. In the 1980s, my sister bought six acres on the Consumnes River where the McCallamy joins it. It happens the north bank of their property uh, was the Consumnes River Preserve. My brother-in-law worked uh, with the Nature Conservancy, physically helping transform the farmland into a riparian habitat. It remains surrounded by farmland. We enjoyed the annual journey of wild birds. Thank you for your time. Okay. Your time is now up. What? I'm, I'm, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Howard Levine. see you with these glasses. I can only read this. My name is Howard Levine. Um, I introduced myself at your last Planning Commission meeting. I hope you recognize me. And I want to congratulate you on your new chairman role. It's always fun. had that opportunity in my life. Um, I'm um, here with Campus Commons, um, or representing. Uh, over the last year, we've had um, the We've actually created our own community meeting and invited um, 
Matt, is that correct? Out, and we had, there was, Campus Commons was not part of the community action plan with 1,150 houses. We had close to 75 people show up to that at another community meeting with a community development department, and we had 166 persons show up with interest. So you can see our community is very interested. Um, during the phase four, April oct through October is when that meeting occurred, and we uh, made uh, numerous comments to the um, to the general plan regarding the campus common area, which is the only part of the city that is in the Arden Arcade area. And it is called out differently. It ends up with these city priorities on an area that had a use permit in 1965. And we're asking that this, the Planning Commission look at that and call it out as a special area with an overlay and direct staff to move in that direction. It is part three, in part three of the community plan, it's in Arden Arcade. Um, it should come about as a new type of area. It's as we witnessed in meetings and in staff reports, this is a historical area that was called out in the two SWCA reports as well as in the uh, uh, plan development area that the uh, planning department referred to uh, last, last in their uh, staff report. Uh, so it is part of a very sensitive area that with the FAR and the development standards that are in the zone, the land use plan and the zoning map, that it needs to be addressed. In our first hearing, the zoning administrator said this ha should have been dealt with in the 2035 general plan and it wasn't. It needs to be dealt with now in this general plan before it moves forward. It is very important that this gets called out. Are we out? I can't read. Um, so I'm asking you. Thank you for your comment. Your time is now up. Our next speaker is Nick Avedis. Uh, good evening, Planning Commissioners. Nick Abdus uh, here this evening, Law Offices of uh, Abdus and Coochie. Uh, I find myself reflecting on a comment made by an earlier commenter. I realize that I'm now within about five years of living in Heritage Park, and that is that is now sinking in. Uh, yeah. uh, but <laughs> I've been there. It's a it's a great place. In fact, I may end up there in a few years. But in any event. Um, and on the point of time, I, I do want to also acknowledge the, the breadth and scope of the time and effort that's needed to get the, this, this package in front of you. And the uh, staff should be, uh, frankly, commended. It's um, uh, herding cats is probably an understatement, and um, that should be recognized and acknowledged. So uh, with that, uh, I'm here this evening um, 
uh, it did submit a letter earlier. Uh, I just want to touch on a few points. Uh, on behalf here of Integral Communities, uh, the developer of the formerly known as Greenbrier Project and North Lake Project, as well as AKT development relative to a site in District 6 uh, near the intersection of um, Folsom Boulevard and Power Inn. Um, I think I would like to at least parlay at least some of the, the comments made um, by some of the commissioners earlier. I think fundamentally the, pro the issue with the drive-through prohibition uh, that's in land use policy uh, 412 is really that it's overbroad and it, uh, it uh, kind of oversimplifies um, the challenges faced by TOD and the realities. Um, and really, you know, this one-size-fits-all all approach really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think it, at the end of the day, I think the Planning and Development Code right now uh, prohibits drive-throughs within a quarter mile. It has a very, very high bar uh, for proposals, not, pro not approvals, just to apply for those located a quarter mile to, to half a mile. Um, when you take in the examples of uh, Greenbrier, for example, it, it is uh, suburban in character. It does have a future light rail stop. And while we all want it 10 years ago, um, it's going to be many, at least the numbers that I've seen, decades and decades away. Um, with that said, that's not to minimize what may happen in the interim, but the fact of the matter is that project has a community commercial site immediately adjacent to a freeway exit and just at the edge of the half mile measurement when you look at uh, measurement from the future light rail uh, stop uh, there. It, it certainly seems that an application should be considered on its own merits. We're not here today. I'm not proposing that project. It's just the ability to have that project come to the city uh, Planning Commission and maybe the City Council for consideration. Now, whether at that particular spot, it justifies putting a drive-through. Um, uh, so with that being said, um, I am out of time. I think the, their zoning code update is forthcoming. I think that is a better vehicle for this case-by-case -case, uh, consideration. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Laura Lance. Hello, I'm also from Heritage Park. Um, my name is Lara Lance, and um, I also oppose the inclusion of the special study area. Um, one of the things that I noticed, and Betsy talked about this earlier, is that we call ourselves a farm-to-fork community, but we're not. We, we are a, a, a farm-to-chef community, we're not really focusing on our agricultural resources that are right here. I would sure like to see if, if it's possible for a city plan with its dry language to be more inclusive and more celebratory of our agricultural heritage and our, and our agricultural land as it exists right now. And what, opportunities there are for that. Uh, the second thing I wanted to, to uh, just discuss quickly is transportation, of course, you know, living in Heritage Park. Uh, we've got all these people, many of them can't walk that far 
we don't even have a bus that comes to our that comes to our community. We have a bus that's uh, about what a mile away, something like that, and that's the closest thing that that uh, we have. There's something called the Jibe bus that takes people to work, but if you're not working, you can't use that bus system. So how about lots of little buses that would go around in the community, be able to pick up people um, and pride uh, and offer a more uh, flexible kind of transportation than we can get with light rail, which isn't coming now. So it'll be a while. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Interjet Wright. Hi, I'm Inderjeet Rai, and I just want to say that I and a lot of people at Campus Common agree with Howard Levine's remarks. And um, a lot of them don't feel comfortable driving at night, and I told them I'm going to come here and let you guys know there's a lot of people behind Howard's comments. I also want to just say that Campus Commons is an early PUD. We were established in 1965. It seems as if 1975 is when PUD started to um, uh, document their objectives and their standards in a way that they are now protected. Campus Commons is not in that category, and so I hope that you will pay a lot of heed to what Howard said and what he wrote that was submitted in the report. Thank you very much. Hey, I did that in one minute. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Michael Ellis. Citizens of Sacramento, I want to start by addressing something that could be a serious safety concern. It was remarkably easy for me to walk inside this building, no metal, no metal detectors, no security guards, no questions asked. I could have came in here with a weapon and caused a serious incident. I'm not that type of person. I'm just saying that's a possibility. Whoever is in charge of security for this place, you guys are city employees. Don't you think you deserve safety in your jobs? I'm also curious as to what you're trying to accomplish with um, drive-through restaurants in being too close proximity with um, light rail stations. Most people that take this public transportation can only afford, most of the time, food from drive through restaurants. I am one of those people. Um, as a disabled person, I rely on light rail transportation heavily. 
Actually, the funny thing is, the original reason I stepped in here was because I'm concerned that in some of the crosswalks, I noticed that the time on crosswalks that has been reduced, and I cannot walk that fast. I'm physically not capable of that. I do not want my voice to fall on deaf ears. Let me ask you guys something. That woman in the red scarf, what did she say? Do any of you remember, honestly? I am not trying to sound like an asshole, but some of the people here look like they would literally rather be anywhere else. And buddy, you've got some skeletons in your closet. I know it, I'm a people person. But we would probably get along, to be honest. And oh, the SMUD's plan of being completely carbon-free by 2030, that is a remarkably small time window. I hope you guys realize that. It's not impossible, but you are asking a lot. Guys, please walk away with something. Please do not see this as just another meeting. These are important. These are meant to accomplish something. Funding and money, economics and monetary resources are going towards this. Please do not let it go to waste. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Chair, I have no more speaker slips. Thank you, Clerk. Uh, I'd like to take a 10 minute break and give folks a minute to uh, maybe use the facilities. And um, so we will sort of adjourn and then readjourn. Um, it's 7.23, we'll return at 7.33. Uh, there, there is. 30 seconds has begun. Stop is ready when you are. All right, we call the meeting back to order at 7.35. Uh, we have completed public comment and we're bringing it back to the dais for commissioner comments. Um, we've heard a lot, there's some themes here. I'm looking for uh, some more discussion of what we've heard. Maybe we can do some clarifications. And um, when it seems like we've exhausted all of that discussion, we'll start talking about the motion. Uh, first speaker is Commissioner Chase. Thank you, Chair. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank all of the uh, public who has turned out to offer their comments to to us tonight. Um, we, I have been listening to them all and taking that all very seriously. Which brings me to my question for Matt and, and Remy. Um, what what was the rationale for including uh, the the Natomas Basin HCP into uh, the general plan as a special study area? Thank you, Commissioner. I'm gonna, at this time, ask our principal planner, Cheryl Hodge, to come up. But I did also just want to reiterate and you know, repeat that the special study area has been, and our last two general plans has, carried, has been carried forward. I also want to just acknowledge goal land use, land use uh, placemaking goal one and the supporting policies within that includes a compact urban footprint and sustainable development pattern with infrastructure that supports efficient delivery of public services while protecting surrounding open 
uh, space lands and land use in place making policy 1.11 coordinate to protect farmland. The city shall continue to work with Sacramento County and the other adjacent jurisdictions to implement conservation plans, preserve farmland and protect critical habitat outside the city. But I'll also ask Cheryl to come up and uh, respond to your question, thank you. Community Development Department. I am also the city's designated manager for implementation of the Natoma Space and Habitat Conservation Plan. That is probably the aspect of my job that I enjoy the most. I'm, anybody who knows me knows I will talk and talk and talk about the HCP. I'm super passionate about it. And um, I am very committed uh, to seeing the su continued success of it. Um, I just want to mention, first of all, our track record really speaks for itself. I've been with the city for six years. We've been implementing the HCP, if you count the first one that ended up getting litigated and then ended up ultimately being adopted in 2003 for over 25 years. So during that period, what's happened is the city has collected over $52 million that has gone to the conservancy and has um, made it possible to acquire over 5,100 acres of open space in Natomas Basin. And I think the city should be really proud of that. I mean, we have been the protectors of Natomas Basin for several decades now. I don't see that changing um, with the study area. Um, as um, Mr. Hurdle mentioned, we've had the study area in place since 2009. And during that period, um, since then, we've continued to implement our HCP. We are committed to completing it, and um, we uh, have this study area for a variety of reasons. Um, I think the city attorney's office mentioned earlier that it is a requirement that we look at adjacent areas to the city boundary, but um, we also include it because there are larger projects that are pending in the basin that we do coordinate with the county. There are services we provide in the basin through contract with Natomas Fire Protection District. And then we also are the water supplier for the International Airport and Metro Air Park. So the HCP is one very important aspect to the study area. So it's not necessarily about any intent for future development with the city, but it's more about our interest in protecting open space in the basin and that close coordination with the county. And Thank I'm available you. for any questions you might have. Thank you, staff. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for those, uh, for that background information. It's very helpful. Uh, are, is that it for you, Commissioner Chase? Okay. Thank you. Uh, next up, we have Commissioner Buckley. Thank you, Chair. Um, my question might be, I'm sorry for the principal planner, I'm, I forgot your name. Cheryl. Cheryl might also be for Cheryl. Um, I know you, I, I, you, part of your last answer answered some of my questions, so I really appreciate that. And I also want to take a moment and thank the speakers for coming out. Um, uh, as uh, Commissioner Chase said, uh, take your comments very seriously. Really appreciate you taking the time to come out. And we see some repeat folks from last week uh, from Campus Commons. So I uh, really appreciate that. And I appreciate the staff presentation as well. Um, so 
there are some assertions made about annexation being sort of this green light for development. And I know the, um, I know the Natomas Basin Study Area has been in place since 2009. You spoke to sort of how there's a legacy of the city acting as a protector of that space. Um, can you speak to sort of in the past how this kind of, how annexation has impacted development of areas and maybe um, you know have you seen instances where that's thwarted our conservation goals in different places and, and I, I unfortunately don't have a huge history of, of watching these things play out but just getting some kind of understanding of how annexation plays into that dynamic of development versus um, conservation well I appreciate the question because not many people even ask about annexations or have an interest in it so uh, you know it's just definitely a different part of, of uh, planning but let me start with um, this is a study area. This is an area that is not in the city's existing sphere of influence. So for anything to ever be annexed into the city boundary, it would first need to be placed in the city's sphere of influence, which the city does not have authority. That would be an action by the Sacramento Local Agency Formation Commission. And then at a later date, if annexation were to be pursued by either landowners or the city, then that also would be a decision made by LAFCO. The study area itself is not any kind of requirement for amending a sphere of influence or for ultimate annexation. Um, the study area serves multiple purposes, including the coordination with the county. Um, we obviously have a very significant vested interest in Natomas Basin because we do have a habitat conservation plan that we are obligated to complete successfully we're financially on the hook for that hcp so in that regard um, that's a little bit about the annexation process sphere of influence so any kind of like change would have to address how that might impact the habitat conservation plan thank you that's and, really yeah and i just wanted to add too that just you may be aware of this that sacramento county is not a party to the city's habitat conservation plan so that has been, you know, one, definitely one of the issues the city has been, you know, coordinating with the county on because, because of the pending developments in the basin. Thank you. That's really helpful. Um, you mentioned that uh, the city's on the hook for the mm -hmm. habitat conservation plan. Can you, can you uh, illuminate that a little bit more? Sure. Um, so I attend all the Natomas Basin Conservancy Board meetings I have for the past six years. Uh, they like to remind the city and Sutter County, who's the other party to the Habitat Conservation Plan, that when we agreed to um, implement that Habitat Conservation Plan, we also agreed to be responsible for the success. That includes financially. So there's Habitat Conservation Plan impact fees that we adjust every year to make sure that the HCP stays financially whole and that enough money is being collected so that the open space could be maintained in perpetuity in the future and that the conservancy could basically stay in business. So the city is a big part of that. So we have that obligation and it's not just like a five-year obligation, it's through the life of the HCP, which is um, until 2053. Thank you. So super important that it's successful. Um, and thank you for sort of turning my attention to the to or our attention to the LAFCOs and how the sphere of influence plays out. Do you, maybe this is a, a question you can answer, but is that, is, is, um, 
has increasing the city's sphere of influence into the Nomas Basin area been sort of on the horizon in the LAFCO sphere of influence expansion space? I would say no. Um, I think there, you know, was probably some more interest by the city years ago, which was why there was a Natomas joint vision plan and um, coordination with a group of landowners. But, you know, quite honestly, we do not annex very often. And um, if you look at the history of annexations for the city, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the city's boundary changed really in the 60s and 70s, not not in the last, you know, 30, 35 years, there's been very limited change in the city boundary. And LAFCO on their own doesn't necessarily just go out and arbitrarily decide to change a city sphere of influence. It would need to be in relation to landowners, um, the city being supportive of it, um, the community. So a lot goes into consideration with that. Um, thank you. Um, one of the commenters suggested that if we move forward with including the Natomas Basin Study Area, that we put in some sort of language that would be indicative of our commitment to protecting that area as natural space or agricultural land. Is that something that would work as, or I mean, how do you see that suggestion sort of playing into um, addressing those concerns? Well, I think the language is already in place. I think as some of the earlier speakers mentioned, we have a obligation with our habitat conservation plan. That is the mechanism um, that quite honestly puts the city at a, we're held to a much higher standard <laughs> because of that habitat conservation plan, which is why for over 25 years, most of that basin has not been developed other than one annexation with the Greenbrier development. So I think we have, that's why I mentioned our track record speaks for itself. We have been committed to that HCP and we are required to finish it successfully. So there's quite honestly a legal HCP document already in place that's stronger than any language that could be added to the general plan. Okay. It's already there. Um. I think those are all my questions. Okay. Uh, thank you. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Buckley. Uh, we'll now hear from Vice Chair Yun. Hi. Um, thank you. I, I had some more questions for Cheryl, and then I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my best to understand um, just um, kind of what's at stake here, and I'm, I'm, I'm really also wanting to just try to do my best to understand uh, the community members who've, who've really tried to articulate their concerns. And so I'm gonna to try to do my best to kind of simplify my questions. Um, so it, it sounds to me from, from the community members, what's at stake in the Natomas Basin area is that there's like 53,000 acres of, of land in, in that basin of which um, the city has acquired 5,000 acres under the, um, HCP, the NBHCP, yeah. and so that that's that's what's being preserved, um, and and that there's sort of a regulatory as well as a financial commitment to preserve that land. But it sounds to me that the the community is interested in making sure that the rest of the the acreage is not developed, and so their concern is that by making this a a um, 
keeping this as a, a special study area opens up the potential of development in those outside of that 5,000 acres. Is, am, I, am I kind of understanding right. this correctly? Just, so the acreage numbers could get complicated, and there's many different ways to discuss it. But the 53,000 includes developed areas in the basin now. That 53,000, just to be clear, includes North Natomas, South Natomas, um, existing development that was in the city within the basin, um, existing development in Sutter County, and it includes Metro Air Park, it includes the International Airport, all of that makes up the Natomas Basin. So the part that is the concern is the 18,000 of unincorporated Sacramento County portion of the basin, of which there's roughly right now a little over 7,000 acres of planning applications pending with the county, not the city of Sacramento. So I understand the concern, but the study area itself does not dictate anything related to those other applications or development. Right, because city of Sacramento has no authority it, whatsoever right. to authorize right. those projects because it's outside the jurisdiction right. of the city of Sacramento. Okay. Um, I guess trying to come come at this from the perspective of of the community who who wants to preserve that land, um, really, to me, the only the only way of really preserving that land is acquiring that land somehow, right, and designating mm -hmm. some sort of regulatory protection along with the financing to back that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, to me, I think that. Um, any effort to preserve additional land um, would need to be directed towards the county. And then if in the future, um, city of Sacramento does annex it, then, then I think that the conversation then does make sense, right, to advocate for additional acreage uh, for preservation. Does that? Absolutely. Okay. And we have been actively involved um, with the other development projects that are in process with the county. We have commented on those projects. We've raised our concern, not only about the HCP, but other um, topics as well, including transportation, circulation, and that. So, um, you know, that is super important to us. I hope that exchange was helpful for the community because it was helpful to me, <laughs> so um, um, as far just as Just real quick related to the acreage. So yeah. right now the Natomas Basin Conservancy has acquired a little over 5,100 acres, and that's a result of the fees that have been collected by the city of Sacramento and also Metro Air Park, and also land dedication that developers in North Natomas and South Natomas have made to the Conservancy. The total acreage requirement for the build-out of North Natomas, South Natomas, Metro Air Park and Sutter County, uh, their project that's been approved, is 8,750. So the, the Conservancy already has over 5,100 acres of that. And then the remaining acreage in the basin when the HCP was done was thought to be in agricultural um, use. So they're very, getting very close to obtaining all of the acreage that that they need, and it does get more challenging for the conservancy each year. But um, it may when you when you say like you know the the basin's fifty three thousand acres, and there's you know a little over five thousand acres of mitigation. It's actually quite a bit. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. They're doing a good job, is what I'm trying to say. 
Thank you. Okay, thanks. Um, I, I do have some additional questions for another planning staff, okay. but thank you, Cheryl. Um, I wanted to address the concerns of one of the stakeholders regarding um, just having sufficient time for, for um, walking across uh, a street. And um, I guess the question is, I'll, I'll leave it open-ended, I guess, um, so maybe someone can address it. Um, so what, what's involved with um, kind of determining how much time is needed uh, for, for someone to, to cross the street and, and how does that factor in when we're discussing folks who maybe are disabled and maybe need to take a little bit more time to, to cross the street? Good evening, Commission. Jennifer Donlin Wyatt, Transportation Planning Manager in Public Works. Good to be with you this evening. Um, the pedestrian, the timing for pedestrians to cross at a traffic signal is determined by standards set by the state. Um, I'm going to say it is somewhere between about 3.8 feet per second is the general rule. Um, we just got a whole bunch of new traffic controller boxes to help manage our traffic signals and timing and our, our timing has been updated. Um, we strive to provide greater time for pedestrian crossings, particularly around schools, near senior centers, near facilities with people with disabilities. If there is ever an issue, we're always glad that if it's reported through 301 or you can just come to City Hall uh, and we can ask our traffic signal team to update that and address the particular intersection. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I think that's all I have, but I just, as, as far as a comment, I, I just wanted to just express that um, the planning staff that I've, I've been working with for the past couple years are um, extremely caring people. Um, we, they talk about the work, they come off as objective, and, and you know, I've, I've heard the word dry, but behind those words is a ton of care and compassion and, and love for their community. And so um, I just really wanted to um, just throw that out there. Um, I know that that as community members, they, they go out there and reach, reach out to everyone. And sometimes not everyone feels heard. And, and sometimes as a result, uh, people feel hurt. Um, but I will say that, you know, as people who are limited uh, as human beings, but they I, I do see tremendous heart um, in what they're trying to do and, and how they're trying to serve the community. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Young. Uh, next up, we have Commissioner Lamas. Thank you, Chair. <clears throat> I, I wanted to take a moment to also thank those who came out today and provide public comments um, and uh, here with us today and also submitted them through email or the e-public comments um, that were included in the report. Um, and thank the staff for this, these years of work on this plan. Um, I, I know this is not the first time we've heard this, the general plan update, um, and I, I'd like to go back to how, many, how much engagement uh, took place as part of this process, right? 700 participants during phase one, 2,200 in phase two, 1,500 public comments in phase three, 120 letters, and all of those comments were addressed in this package, and it's a pretty extensive section at the, the end of the, the package, so kudos to the team, to, um, to hearing, you know, making an effort to, to do um, thorough outreach and hearing um, uh, our neighbors and trying to incorporate those comments into this plan. Um, I did have a question um, in terms of the Thomas Basin. Um, so Cheryl, 
<laughs> one time and maybe a couple more times. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But um, I do appreciate some of the comments that came from the commissioners. Um, they did ask um, some of the questions that I had. Um, I was curious um, in terms of some of the comments that the city has had for um, the county on these proposed developments that are obviously outside of the jurisdiction of the city. But um, what are some of those comments? Like, do they revolve around whose responsibility it would be if they, they were be developed for like public safety, like fire, infrastructure? Like what are some of the concerns that the city has brought up in terms of these developments? For the comments we've already provided to the, or, yes. the county? Yes. Um, I think you just about touched on all of them. Um, well, first, we do provide fire services to the basin through the Natomas Fire Protection District, so that issue has been raised. and. Um, and police services, depending on where that development occurs, uh, because it does have um, an impact to city services, regardless if it was ever annexed. I mean, even if it was developed with the county, it does change things for city of Sacramento. And you know, how, how is the county going to address that? Um, in addition, obviously, the Habitat Conservation Plan, we've raised the issue is how will we successfully complete the Habitat Conservation Plan if all of the development as proposed were to occur. And these are things that we're just raising that the county needs to look at as part of their evaluation of the development applications that are in process uh, with them. Circulation, um, economic impacts we've raised as well. Um, we're, you know, Obviously, with the general plan, which has you know been an incredible adventure, I think putting it all together and all the input and everything else, we want to see that succeed. We're very focused on infill development and economic development within the city limits. So, how would this other development outside the city change that? So, these are all things that we've raised in comment letters to to the county, and we've asked them to take a look at as they evaluate those projects. Thank you for that additional context. Um, would it be safe to say that this Natomas Basin Study Plan would try to account for those scenarios as well, right? Um, in like, because you're studying this area, you're trying to account for what the county may do and how to respond to that? Yeah, to some extent, I think if anything, it's it's indicating that there are, we have an interest in the future of this basin, regardless of the city boundary. Um, we care what happens to it. We care what the county does. Um, we have services that we provide there. And we also have a habitat conservation plan that we are required to complete successfully. So that kind of goes all into the purpose of the study area. It's not necessarily, and I understand completely the concern that the study area is, you know, somehow being proposed to accommodate future development. The development right now that's proposed over 7,000 acres isn't with the city of Sacramento, it's with the county, regardless of the study area. It, and it still will go, it still will be in process regardless of the study area. So, but we have definitely other reasons why it's very important to keep that study area. Perfect. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. That's it. Commissioner, I'll just add, add to that. Just want because there's so many policies in the general plan, but I just wanted 
appoint you to ERC 211 and ERC 212. ERC 211 is in the Thomas Basin Habitat Conservation Plan, and it says the city shall continue to participate and support the policies and the protection of biological resources in the basin. And there's a very long policy I won't read, but it is, it is a policy, um, a shell policy in the general plan. Um, and so that, that support is, is there. Um, and I did have one more question or comment, um, changing the subject a little bit, um, back to these um, drive-throughs and planned um, transit lines. Um, I did. I had a question earlier, but now I wanted to pose a comment. Um, I, I I like the idea, and Commissioner Caden mentioned um, of uh, laying the foundation to uh, support future transit line development and not create um, obstacles to get in the way of that. And I, I believe there's uh, potential funding associated with these transit lines. I, I think there was like a project we approved earlier this year that was um, basing um, their development based on transit, right? That was planned in the future. Um, and so I just wanted to clarify that, that um, I like the idea, right, to protect it for the future. Uh, I know there were some questions about um, what can we do like from now until the plan being approved and you know, I'm sure we might hear some more comments about that But I think long-term moving forward. I, I'm supportive of the staff's recommendation on that piece And I yield my time Thank you Commissioner uh, Next we'll hear from Commissioner Caden Thank you chair and <clears throat> thank you so much to the folks who came out to, to talk about um, uh, everything in the general plan and appreciate all of your perspectives on this and I think I would say continue to keep pushing on this issue it's important to have uh, you know these advocacy groups that are pushing for these things um, I would just you know start by saying I, I completely share your concern about the potential for sprawl the impact of sprawl on on climate and the environment uh, you know, I, I spend most of my day job working on this exact issue, so I very much am with you. Uh, I would also like, not like to see any growth in the Natomas Basin. Um, I wanna just reiterate something that, that Cheryl said, because I think it's really important. There's two very large Greenfield-specific plans that are in the basin. They're actively moving um, their way through the unincorporated county um, entitlement process. Upper West Side, you have Grand Park. Um, if that was not the case, I, I would be, I would 100% agree with this idea that it would not be a, appropriate to, to designate this area as a study area. Um, because it, it absolutely would facilitate speculative land banking. You'd have that sort of development pressure that you're describing. I think it's too late for that. The, the cat's out of the bag. The speculation is happening. Um, there are these active development proposals that don't really need to be annexed in order to move forward. So I just want to acknowledge that there's, there's an element here that's outside of city control. Uh, it's not really just like up to us to just say, we don't want growth there, therefore it will not happen. Um, so to me, the, the city maintaining these areas as a study area um, does make these specific plans, or, or does not make these specific plans, sorry, uh, more likely to occur. What it does is that it ensures that we are at the table, right? It ensures that you know, we're able to have some level of influence over these plans, and I think it's important to, to ensure that we're part of that conversation and we can actually influence that conversation moving forward. Um, because if, if we aren't, the county can just move forward without us. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Blunt. 
echo, oh, I, I just like to echo um, the, uh, my fellow commissioners in thanking uh, the public for their comments, uh, very thoughtful, and um, we appreciate your time and coming out here. Um, and, you know, I, <clears throat> speaking of that, uh, the, so the first speaker um, is a, a colleague, and um, speaking of the, um, you know, about the incentives and stuff, I just wanted to sort of clarify on that how, um, you know, it, it's, it's, we are supportive of, uh, of, of the incentives. I think that they are, they're, they're very key to the growth of Sacramento. But just to reiterate, like, it's, it's trying to ensure that, they, that when we give money or we give incentives to, to build in the city of Sacramento, we want to make sure that those monies aren't going to, to fund crime scenes. Right? We're trying to ensure that there, there isn't wage theft going on on, on these job sites, you know, and um, that's it's something that um, requires compliance. Um, and so that's, uh, <laughs> I'll just, I'll leave it at that. But again, thank you to the staff. Thank you for, um, for all the work that you've put into this. And yeah, that's it. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, looks like we have Commissioner Chase. Thank you, Chair. Um, I think a question, I guess, for, and Cheryl, don't, don't get up yet. <laughs> uh, and perhaps staff here, uh, with respect to the, you know, our, our public who have turned out here, um, which is great. Given the fact that the, the, the study area that's being proposed is not within the city limits at this point in time, uh, it's not even, I guess, within the sphere of influence. So do the residents have any authority to, uh, to go to the county to express their opinions? I mean, I guess you can always express an opinion, but is, is there any point in them doing that to the county for any potential development that's proposed here? Uh, thank you, Commissioner. Yeah, the county is the, the lead agency for both those proposals mentioned earlier. Would anybody within the city limits uh, have any, you know, input to unincorporated county uh, projects? Com Commissioner Chase, I would just uh, say that my thoughts are that if you're in the adjacent neighbor to development, they're certainly going to be impacted by it. And so anybody who would be impacted by a development project uh, should have the opportunity to weigh in and provide their comments. So in that respect, I think the um, folks who came out tonight would, should certainly be able to do that. Okay, good. Yeah, I would encourage all of the folks who have turned out to, you know, follow up with the county, stay on top of them. So, thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Chase. Um, I didn't hear my questions asked, so I'm going to ask a couple. <laughs> um, and then we'll keep going. Uh, first question I have is actually about Campus Commons. Um, the sense there's a sense that there's their PUD is antiquated, <laughs> or, or maybe it was innovative at the time, and and we learned something between 1965 and 1975 about um, the kind of requirements we want to put around sort of like modernizing and the performance of the PUD. Um, so I was wondering if you could speak to that and if that's something that we could call out for council to consider. Yeah. 
Good evening, Chair Wallace, members of the commission. Um, we, in the general plan, I don't see that as a level of detail that is usually in there about calling out a specific community uh, to update a PUD. I know there's concern about its historic nature and our preservation director in the prior hearing had indicated that we're certainly open to surveys, um, considering that area as a district. Um, it just takes staff resources to develop the evidence and the relevant information to support a district nomination. So um, we have that process. We have supportive policies in the general plan about setting up historic districts. Um, so if it's the concern about the, the historic nature and what change would occur in that, that community, then that um, seems to me the, the route that should be taken. Thank you. Um, can anyone speak to um, sort of, we sort of vaguely refer referenced these um, supportive incentives that Commissioner Blunt brought up, but what part, what element is that in and what is our, um, our purview in terms of what we could recommend. I certainly don't want people to experience wage theft, but I don't know that labor um, policy is something that is in the purview of the general plan. So we do have some supportive policies on those topics uh, under you know, the economic development element, under workforce development, we have that are focused some uh, E4.5, labor force skills development. Uh, we have educational attainment. Uh, we have barriers to workforce participation. Uh, and we'll probably see here we have um, a number of policies focused on promoting local indus industries, uh, access to labor and jobs. So there are uh, investments for inclusive and equitable growth. So there are a number of, of policies that would be supportive of, of those comments. Thank you. I have no additional questions, so I will hand it over to Commissioner Hernandez. Thank you very much. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Um, so I'll start uh, by just saying thank you to staff. This is such a massive effort, and you guys have been presenting this for a while now, and we're taking a look at all the amendments and just appreciate everything that has gone in all the time. Also appreciate the community members who are here to talk about Natomas Basin, Campus Commons, and transit-oriented development on Campus Commons. You have our attention. We're definitely interested in that issue. Um, it does appear to be an issue that needs to be brought up to this at the city council level. I'm so happy to follow up with you um, after that too. I really uh, want to thank my fellow commissioners who asked questions around the Natomas Basin. I feel like it's provided a lot of clarity for me um, on this item, and, and, and so just thank you so much for your thoughtfulness there. Um, there are two policies that I want to raise, but I do want, I hope to have a conversation about um, the transit supportive development. Um, so 
I do believe that there ought to be some flexibility around this, um, in particular because in my district, as I mentioned, the Power Inn station is a heavily industrial area. Um, right there by Granite Park, there's a substation. It's a very large substation. So to to believe that that area could be more walkable, I think is not a reasonable ask. Um, around there as well, on Folsom Boulevard specifically, there are areas that need to be developed. Um, so I, I just wanna hear more from um, my fellow commissioners on, on what that means and what this could look like. I, I do appreciate that going forward, this is the direction that we wanna go, but I also um, believe that there is some really neighborhood and, and station specific context that ought to be considered. Um, so. So I'll pause there and may have some additional comments based on on future on, on whatever the commissioners here have to discuss. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Hernandez. Uh, is that Commissioner Chase? Thank you, Chair. Um, yes, following up on uh, essentially Commissioner Hernandez's comments. Um, in a moment, I will propose a, a motion here, but I just want to state in the meantime, I lived in, uh, from, from the East Coast, I lived in Boston, lived in New York City. Um, public transportation is superb there. You can pretty much go anywhere. I lived for four years in Boston before moving to California without owning an automobile. Very doable. Um, with the conversation we've had tonight, we want to get there, I, you know, and I totally agree with uh, Commissioner Caden. We're not there yet, though, and, and the question here is how long will it take us to get to that point? And I think in certain parts of our city, it appears that it will be quite a while. Uh, and again, I think a lot of the focus has been on uh, North Natomas, and I think that's where the concern is. Um, so with that, I would like to propose uh, that we support staff's, uh, make a motion to support staff's um, uh, recommendation here with an exception or I guess an amendment I'm probably going to look to uh, council for assistance on this I would like to amend uh, my motion to include uh, and again in such a way that we can address specifically find a way to pull out that TOD quarter mile to half mile uh, issue to bring it down into ways that it can be addressed you know locally from a time standpoint um, and I'm not sure how to word that for uh, want to offer any uh... yeah I think you've done it your point is you would like to recommend the project to council with additional consideration to the topics you've mentioned so staff can make sure they understand that but it gives staff the flexibility to look at potential options if you're not ready to lay those out right now and and potentially the policy itself could be flexible, that we will look at this, these things in the future and potentially make station-specific recommendations. But yeah, a policy could be drafted in that way. So if I under, yes, you've yeah, done I it. Is, I guess what I'm trying to do is, is eliminate the blanket half-mile uh, issue citywide and bring it down to where it has discretion uh, by council or staff or whatever to pull it out of there. So. Uh, Hopefully that's a clear enough motion to throw out there, but. Uh. Sorry, I'm getting clarification over here. <laughs> uh, thank you, Commissioner Chase. Uh, Commissioner Keaton. Yeah, I, I think just my general thoughts on that is I, I would be hesitant to essentially carve out that, I, I think I support the policy and 
I would be hesitant to give uh, flexibility in such a way that allowed for council discretion or a you know district councilor like discretion for particular for particular projects because I think what could happen there is everyone is going to want an exception in their district and then you just kind of erode the policy itself. So I I think again back harking back to my original questions earlier I think I'd be supportive of making a uh, I, I believe council said a development pipeline sort of uh, grandfathering sort of exception where if a project is actually you know already submitted some sort of <clears throat> excuse me pre-application uh, that's one thing right but the idea that we would not move forward with the staff recommendation which was supported by um, countless folks from the public to ex extend from a quarter mile to half mile I, I don't think I would totally support Commissioner Hernandez. Thank you. Thank you. Um, as folks are contemplating um, this this motion and amendment and decision, um, I, I understand the 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 what the implications of something like this could be. Um, but I I also believe that um, it does need to consider stations where there it's surrounded by industrial uses that's different than areas where it's a grid or in the city center. Um, so I think we can get there by threading the needle. And I think there, there does need to be some consideration as to um, station-specific context because what's good in Atomas, I don't know if it's the best to ca carbon copy that for the grid and best to carbon copy that for um, industrial areas like that. Um, so. I'll bring up another um, policy is if the um, staff wouldn't mind helping me understand um, land use policy 413 future ready gas stations and I know that there was some revisions to that that were proposed um, so any background in terms of what informed this policy if it came from some of the community members um, this is the policy that would require um, for every new gas station that there is also um, EV charging installed even charging made available, DC fast chargers. Yeah, thank you, Commissioner. I think uh, looking back, you know, some of the impetus around this is, is, is probably twofold. One, uh, the get governor's executive order that all new vehicles by 2035 will be electric and that we need to uh, prepare and be ready for uh, the electric vehicle uh, that will be on our streets to meet our climate goals, um, getting uh, replacing uh, gas vehicles with electric vehicles is a uh, very large portion of our reductions in greenhouse gas emissions for to achieve our climate action adaptation plan and um, we've seen a uh, severe increase in uh, electric vehicles in our street and so we need to make sure that we have uh, investments both on the public side and private side for that um, in, ad in addition to uh, in terms of this you know the, the uh, policy as it was originally proposed uh, I believe it was originally proposed as one level three fast charger or one fast charger for every uh, three pumps uh, during the public review period and comments we received we were asked to increase that to a one-to-one -one ratio um, based on those those comments and after evaluating 
all the comments. Uh, staff agreed with, with the recommendations. Um, and so the revised policy is as you read it now. Thank you. I do have some thoughts on this as well um, and would love to hear from my fellow commissioners. So I, I understand what the governor's executive order said. I'm so happy to hear that there are, is an increased number of EVs um, being adopted here in the city of Sacramento. And, and I think across the state we're seeing there's uh, uh, some challenges with uh, making sure that we have an, an appropriate charging network for folks who want to get around the city, uh, or excuse me, around the city and the state. Um, there was an LA Times article that just came out yesterday uh, titled, Broken Chargers Lacks Oversight How California's Troubled EV Charging Stations Threaten Emissions Goals. And so um, it just really lays out some, some of the challenges with, um, with this particular uh, um, policy in terms of um, not just reliability, but oversight and how um, there's still a great need um, because if we are going to be driving um, all electric vehicles in the future, we need to make sure that the, that the charging is there. Um, so I agree with that, but I'm, I'm just wondering, as somebody who's not an EV driver, um, why install charging stations at gas stations? Like to me, it doesn't seem like I'd want to spend 20 minutes to an hour hanging out in my car or walking around the AMPM um, or whatever convenience store that's there. I just feel like I would love to hear if anyone else has an experience with um, EV and that charging, but I just feel like if this is what we want to do, like how does this fit into our, um, I think we have an EV blueprint implementation strategy for the city. I'm really happy to hear that Colonial Heights Library in my district, in District 6, is being um, was selected as a place where the, the city is going to put in some um, charges there as well. I just think that um, there needs to be another way to do it and that I have some ideas around that, but if we want to create a, a network that's available to EV drivers, I'm not sure the gas stations are the best place for them, number one. And number two, um, it means nothing if we're not also requiring that they have to be reliable. And I didn't see that in the policy. Um, that's one of the things that was raised in the LA Times article. Um, so I also feel like if we want to help with this uh, towards EV adoption and having a reliable network, that we also help folks um, to put either you know, have some stackable incentives that they can get. They, they already have the opportunity to get incentives through SMUD for, an, for installing an at-home charger. Maybe there's a, a different way where we, you know, ask if we, there is a new gas station installed that they instead put, in, put it towards a fee where we can provide those rebates and incentives um, so that uh, it, it's actually more, more tangible and more reliable that way. Um, so again, I really like to hear from what the experience is like from my fellow commissioners around that. Um, Another point I wanted to make around this is that, um, again, not just that the gas station charging up to an hour, like what does that mean for, you know, is that a walkable or safe area to be in for that amount of time, um, but also uh, just looking at other ways that kind of make more sense from my perspective. I'll yield my time for that, but um, I might come back to it. Thank you. <clears throat> okay, well, I'm the one with no car, <laughs> and um, I typically relied on the gig cars when they were here in Sacramento, and I use them to try to go everywhere because I don't have a car, and they go they charge by the hour, and sometimes I would take them to Grass Valley, 
and sometimes I would take them to Santa Cruz, and sometimes I, one time I tried to take them to Sea Ranch. And in all of the instances, I encountered times where I could not find a charger. And the chargers, I, I went to Oakland, and there was a charger underneath the freeway in a completely unlit area in a parking lot. So um, given the alternatives, like we've been letting cities choose how they cite these, um, there's probably an opportunity for um, gas station owners to partner with other retail outlets, right? There's like other opportunities to like stack, like you were saying, um, experiences as well. Uh, and we don't live on the East Coast, but in the East Coast, like right in the middle of the freeway, there are like trucking plazas with like everything you could possibly want <laughs> on like toll roads. Um, and we, we just haven't even contemplated uh, opportunities like that here. But I will say that um, at least some policy around having it be in a well-lit place, which typically gas stations are in comparison to the other experiences that I've had. Um, and then the reliability piece, right? Like I can see on PlugShare on the app that there's a charger, but when I get there, it's not working. So um, the one-to-one -one ratio appeals to me because then there might be, if there's if one's broken, there's two that are working. Um, whereas the stations that I've experienced with the EVgo chargers, they have two sides, and a lot of times neither side will be working. So, and I've been doing this since 2019, so I feel like I'm kind of an expert on it. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Blunt. Um, I just want to second your uh, experience with the the, the, char the issue of charging. Um, I also have uh, an, an EV car, and uh, what I've experienced is like an absolute lack of opportunities. Um, there is like a really cool uh, situation that parks, they'll have like where you can walk around and then charge your car at the same time. So that's, that's really cool, but I think part of, to piggyback on kind of your concern here is like, if we're going to um, eliminate uh, off-street parking guaranteed uh, and like to try to push for multifamily um, like where are you gonna where are we going to um, power up our EV cars right like um, so it's yeah and I'm actually running into that right now in my living situation I live in an apartment um, and I don't have anywhere to charge my car so um, yeah I think I, I, but I think um, Commissioner uh, Wallace is correct that um, something <laughs> something needs to be done. Right? Like we need to go forward, uh, and even if um, it's not like the, the greatest experience to be hanging out at an AMPM for a while, <laughs> like it's it's better than just not at all. So I, that's all. Thank you, Commissioner Blunt. Commissioner Lamas. Chair, um, I just wanted to talk about the electric vehicles as well. Um, I work for the state and there's an initiative to, to go green, right? So we have an electric car that we use to do our travel. And one of the things that we've noticed um, is that uh, there's convenience to having uh, get the electric charge stations at gas stations, especially if we're traveling through a city because um, we can get it right off the freeway. Um, and not um, have to go into a city if we're just passing through. So I imagine maybe there was some consideration from the city in that regard about 
um, uh, tr flow of traffic, just keeping folks, um, you know, close to the freeways um, to get their charge or gas and and be on their way. Um, but just I wanted to add some additional context uh, for that discussion. Um, and then I wanted to talk about um, the drive-throughs again. So, because um, I'm kind of curious, it seems like this drive-through, this prohibition for new drive-throughs, um, where, and these are new drive-throughs, right? Not existing drive-throughs, but where existing or proposed transit lines um, are. Um, and so I imagine if there's a transit line, the, there's probably already folks walking a lot more, more pedestrians in that area. So is that, like, what? what is um, some additional context you can provide from the city about why we're focusing on these specific areas and how, how that kind of looks across the city um, in terms of the existing lines already um, and maybe some, some challenges that some areas might be experiencing um, if this were to, to be get passed. Thank you, Commissioner. So in order to meet our lofty uh, climate goals and our goals around infill housing, walkability, quality of life, it is essential that we get serious about transit-oriented development. We have to do that in two ways. We have to ensure that land around a high-frequency transit, so again, uh, buses or, or light rail or trains that are coming with every 15 minutes. You gotta put, you make sure that those areas are reserved uh, for housing and for, for employment and not autocentric uses. So we need to build our housing and our job centers near transit to meet our goals, right? And so we're gonna, we, we think it's important to make sure that those areas are reserved for those uses. And then at the same time, we're gonna incentivize on the, the, the other side to we're going to increase our floor area ratios like we've been doing. We're going to have a, a lots of different transit-oriented development incentives. We're not going to require parking. We're we're going to do a lot of things to to really encourage that development there. And we're seeing it. Uh, if you look at the 65th Street Station around Sac State, 20 years ago, no one would believe what it is today, right? And there is housing everywhere. And and that's and yes, some areas are more ready for TOD than others, but at the same time, we've got to make those investments now and we've got to preserve that land now. And so we think the methodology for the walking distance and it's from the stations itself. So it's not just the whole line, it's really about, can I walk from that, that bus stop, the high frequency bus stop or that station in 10 minutes um, to, this, to, the, to my job, to my housing, that's the area that we're talking about. It's really a 10 minute walk. So even if the, some areas have, have barriers to walking, that's, a, that's accounted for. So if you can't walk there in 10 minutes, you wouldn't be subject to this. It's a, it's a half mile, 10 minute walk, um, uh, walk shed. So that's really what we're, we're focused on here. And we think it's important. This is a 20 year plan. We think it's important um, to make those decisions now. And yes, it's gonna be some pinch points. It'll be uncomfortable for some applications and some folks that are considering things, but you know, we, we feel like we have to make that, that decision and choice now. Thank you for that context. I yield my time. Commissioner Caden. Yeah, just, just one other piece of um, context on this. We, I mean, we, we went through this whole conversation and exercise about four years ago um, when we um, considered the TOD ordinance. I think that was 2018 and then amended um, maybe a couple years later. Um, and. And one other just piece of that conversation that I think is just important to harken back to is that 
first of all, absolutely, Matt, that these, these things take a long time, but it can actually happen quicker than, than you think, and so to have the right policies in place is important. But in addition, when you, when you have an auto-oriented use, it sends the signal to the market that this is an area for cars. And so what we're trying to do is to create an environment that makes it uh, more livable and more walkable and um, more friendly to folks who are walking around and potentially walking to the light rail station. You know, yes, it's a lot of these places don't look like they are close to being TOD, but they, they can be. And I think if we had a drive-through gas station where the Wexler apartments are next to the 65th light rail station, we might not see the development that we're seeing around that station. So I just wanted to mention that. Commissioner Caden, we have a motion. <laughs> Does anyone, we do not have a second. Uh, do we want to talk about additional amendments or uh, Commissioner Hernandez? Thank you. Um, I wonder if staff, or to the maker of the motion, to add an amendment, but first checking in with staff to see um, on the ability to, for that um, future ready gas stations, uh, uh, to somehow incorporate some language around requiring reliability of the stations. So making sure the uptime is actually functioning and working to whatever, I think the state is looking at 90%, can we do better than that? I would like for the city to do better for its residents if they're going to require charging stations at gas stations. So is that possible? I am going to uh, defer the response um, if the, to our climate action lead for one more day, Jennifer Bemma, if that's okay. Good evening, Commissioners Jennifer Venema, Climate Action Lead, and related to uh, ensuring the operability of EV chargers, that's not something the city has played a role in. As a local agency, we operate about 100 public EV chargers that the city owns at our own facilities, and um, we are stretched thin and at capacity trying to maintain just assets that the city owns. So in terms of the ability to enforce uptime for private sector um, individuals as it relates to chargers, it's not something the city has the resources to implement. So perhaps there's opportunity to reference forthcoming state processes or other avenues but it would be a more supportive role that the city's uh, equipped to utilize in that space. Um, okay, I think um, since it's still part of a general plan, it's still so future looking, and while we're strapped for resources now and we have identified eight sites in South Area for additional charging, I think this could be something that we could do in the future. So I think um, we should think about uh, increasing our capacity to, to do that um, if we want to meet our climate goals. So I would like to add something about reliability into that. Um, and to the maker of the motion, would you accept an additional amendment to your motion? 
Um, as, as the uh, original motion originated, could I ask for clarification on that amendment, uh, Commissioner? What, what are you asking for? Oh, uh, to add an amendment on the future ready gas stations to uh, provide that they require uh, a certain uptime for public charging, for the charging stations at gas stations. A certain what? Uh, uptime to make sure that they're operating and running since based on the experience diverse experience around the the dais that sometimes they're they're not they're broken or not functioning but i think i would totally agree with the intent i'm not sure if that would fall within the purview of our commission i don't know uh, courtney can we create goals around that i guess is maybe a better question Perhaps a goal could be to enhance the reliability. I'm, I'm not sure we could control it. I mean, I, I agree with the intent. I'll look to staff to see if that's a policy or a goal we can add to that, to, L, uh, to 413.413. Uh, you know, if, if the commission wants to make that as part of their motion, we can certainly look into that and see what kind of language we could add to the policy. The policy currently, you know, has specificity around the type uh, of charger, you know, being a 50 kilowatt or greater direct current fast charger, but if there's other um, items that we, we could potentially add around reliability, we could take a closer look. We would need more time to think about what we could do on that. Thank you. I just think it's really important if we want to install all these chargers and create a reliable network that they're actually usable and operable. Um, so welcome your thoughts on as the maker of the motion, if that's uh, if, if you could perhaps state the amendment that you, a friendly amendment you're looking for, I would see if I can agree with it. So my friendly amendment request would be to add an amendment to your motion on top of the amendment that you've already indicated for the transit-supported development. And my amendment would state a goal in addition to land use policy 4.13 on future-ready gas stations that the charging stations that are installed by the gas stations uh, developers be reliable and the staff can come up with whether that like what is what is considered reliable for the city okay. I will accept that um, amendment to the motion <clears throat> I'll make a second to your motion okay we have uh, we have a Friendly amendmented motion with a second. <laughs> uh, Commissioner, or sorry, Vice Chair Young. Yeah, I just had follow-up question for Commissioner Chase and Commissioner Hernandez. I, I appreciate the, the goal of trying to not inhibit potential development in your districts. I'm, I'm trying to visualize um, what type of developments could be prohibited um, given what's being proposed in the current uh, general plan? Because I know we're talking about drive-through, so, so that's, that's one piece. Are there other types of developments that potentially could, could inhibit other type of growth opportunities that you're thinking of? I'm just trying to visualize that in my mind right now. Or is this or is is really the strictly the focus is about the drive-through? Um, I, I think at this point that would that would be the focus. And again, okay. it, it goes to the the comments we've heard about, particularly North, North and Thomas being an auto-centered uh, community. That may well be that for the next twenty years. 
and so do we uh, essentially penalize or limit land uses within that period of time. And I certainly understand what uh, Commissioner Caden's government, we've got to plan ahead for that. Uh, but there are certain areas where we're just, we're not ready, and I don't see us being ready uh, with certain, even BRT is going to take a lot of time and a lot of money uh, to get us to the airport. So uh, the question is, do we, it's back to that one size fit all. Do we, do we go with that citywide, or is there a way to, you know, parse it? Thank you, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Hernandez? Thank you. Just responding to Commissioner Young's question, very similar to what Commissioner Chase just mentioned as well, um, but also um, I think it just needs to be looked at on a case-by-case -case basis, and I think that we can really thread the needle because um, there are industrial areas that whether or not there, there's a potential for a drive-through to go there or not, I mean, when this be kicks into... Um, to be effective, this general plan, like there is no time to grandfather in projects. There might be still be under consideration and that particular area does need to be invested in and we do need some development, particularly on Folsom Boulevard. So um, I just wanted to provide that as context for, for that one. Thank you. Commissioner Caden. Commissioner Chase, I'm, I'm just wondering if you can, and sorry to, to litigate this, I'm just trying to make sure I get what the substitute motion is for the specifically related to drive-throughs. Is, is it to, are you directing staff to try to work through solutions or are you suggesting to a removal? Because there is an explicit policy, I believe, in um, the general plan around uh, prohibiting new drive-through restaurants within a half mile. So. Are you striking the policy, or are you instructing staff to, to work through solutions? Um, good question. I, I don't think I want to strike it entirely, uh, because there are a lot of, I think, areas within the city. I'm more concerned about the areas that are car-dependent and will likely be that way for a long time. Not that I want them to be that way, but I think they will be. And so, you know, should there be any flexibility within the next 20 years for certain uses, you know, drive-throughs? to occur within, you know, not occur within a quarter mile versus not occur within a half mile. And, you know, I'm not a drive through I can't remember the last time I've been to a drive through so <laughs> I'm not pushing them. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Zhang. Um, thank you. So I, I, I agree with um, Commissioner um, Dove, Caden. <laughs> uh, I, th I think my concern with the with the um, one size fits all is that there are um, like the pipelines um, that you had mentioned. There are projects that may have already been in the pre-application process, which I don't want. I, I would be concerned as um, as a business owner or as as an applicant who is putting that project forward, if in the middle of my project um, these additional overlays. Um, preventing me from moving forward. So I, I think my concern here is is maybe to to create um, an opportunity for those projects to maybe be heard um, on a case-by-case -case basis. And I think if, if we are looking to make um, an amendment for future exceptions, um, perhaps there can be um, very strict guidelines around who can ex apply for an exception. Um, because I understand also the concern that then everybody's going to want an exception. So um, if we can just put some very strict guidelines around that, if that could be an option. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And, and just for staff's clarification, 
on that point that, that you raised, Commissioner, and Commissioner Caden raised. Uh, potential language around that, just so that I understand what you're suggesting here, would be that if an applicant has submitted a complete application prior to the effective date of general plan, that they could proceed. Does that fall in line with uh, recommendations that I'm hearing? Sure, absolutely. So currently the way that the, the policy would be enacted is that unless your application for a, drive, a new drive-through restaurant within a half mile of high frequency transit, unless it was approved prior to the effective date the general plan currently anticipated for March 28th, it would not be approved. So you would have to be, your whole application would have to be approved prior to the effective date in order to be able to move forward. What I, what I, I think I've heard from the dais is that there might be an interest if an applicant submitted a complete application, it was not approved, it was going through the process, but they submitted a complete application to the planning division prior to the effective date that they could still be considered for the drive-through and go through the process. Not a guarantee, but they would go through the process. Correct, yes, correct, correct. And then also um, kind of like what um, Commissioner Hernandez was stating that if there's certain, if there, if it makes sense that um, based on the exact location, that based on certain, and, and you guys can come up with the, with the specific, very um, strict um, requirements, but if, if it makes sense for that specific site that they may receive an exception, I think that's something that um, can also play into that decision or, or giving the applicant an opportunity to request for an exception. Like for example, um, I think there was a couple of projects that were, they were just within that half mile radius or yeah, the half mile mark. Uh, that's certainly a motion that the commission could make um, and we could as staff um, contemplate that, that recommendation as we proceed on to council. I yield. Thank you. Um, I just have a comment to make about this. Uh, I went to, similar to Commissioner Caden, I went to school in the city of Evanston, Illinois, and they do not allow drive-throughs. And there is a, there was, it's been recently turned down, torn down to create housing, but um, there was a Burger King on the edge of campus, and it was open till like two in the morning, <laughs> and it was always busy. And so I'm, I'm trying to understand how um, allowing, not allowing for drive-throughs precludes the kinds of businesses that would, that typically are drive-through businesses. And so I just want to encourage people to think that, you know, in our efforts to, we have to do two things, thread, thread some needles here. We have to create the demand for high frequency transit. We only have light rail and two bus lines in the entire city right now. So we need all these things nest together and work together. And um, the density of housing is like the driver for that. And the walkability is what creates the desirability for those areas. So I understand wanting to be sympathetic to folks who are already in the planning process, and I support that. Because I know that people put money and effort into those efforts um, for quite some time before they come to fruition. But I, I kind of want to, walk us away from the idea that everybody gets a case-by-case -case consideration because um, 
the next thing you know, we are just trying to squeeze transit-oriented development into like three places, and we really want it to go citywide. So, and uh, with that, I will pass it off to Commissioner Lamas. Thank you, Chair, and uh, Commissioner Chase also was on the queue after me, but we only share one button. We're, we're tag-teaming here. <laughs> um, I did want to, um, to echo that, that sentiment from uh, the chairwoman, um, and uh, I, I do like that we want to plan for the future. I'm in support of that. I am um, acutely aware of those folks that may be in the pipeline, so I kind of had some questions about what that kind of looks like. Do we know if there's any current plans for drive-through projects that could be impacted if we were to institute a cutoff date? Um, a, and then B, um, what would constitute a complete package um, to, to get to the city? Because I could see a scenario in some of the language that we're talking about where someone could rush to submit a package. Could they submit a package between now and, and the time it gets implemented to just get in there, like right, get a holding spot? Um, or, um, or is that not the case? I'm going to give it a go, but I might turn it over to Stacia because <laughs> this is her wheelhouse. Uh, but we would deem a application complete. So when, when, when an applicant submits an application, staff reviews and would deem that application complete. It has everything, and, it, and they pay their application fees, and then that is a complete application. So if that's submitted, deemed complete, th that's what we're talking about. Um, and to my understanding, there may be two drive-through that have had pre-apps or submitted applications and that would be impacted, potentially impacted by this policy? I'm aware of two applications that we currently have in. Um, one is not complete and one is. And to have a complete application, as Matt says, is you have to submit a site plan, elevations, a, you have to have a letter of agency, meaning if you're not the property owner, you have the permission of the property owner to make the application. You have to fill out the application itself. You do a design guidelines checklist and you pay your fees, and so that's considered a complete application. So it's, it's not a huge bar, but it's the first step to uh, processing it. And is that application in an area with future transit development, like within the, um, the radius that we're looking at? Both of them are within a half mile. So drive-throughs are currently prohibited within a quarter mile. You can't even make an application. But, but you can make an application uh, for a conditional use permit if you're within a half mile, and both of them are within a half mile of existing transit stops. I'll, I'll take over. I, I think, and from what I've heard, heard from Matt, I think it sounds like it being, it's consistent with what the building department would consider also a complete application. Um, Pre-application wouldn't count. You really have to have you know all of the elements in there, and if so, in the case of the building department, if everything is in, whatever codes are in effect at that date, those will apply throughout that project. You know, if any changes happen in the code, which they will, uh, it won't be retroactive for that project. So I'm assuming the same thing. Once a, a complete application is submitted to planning, it would would move forward based on uh, current uh, ordinances. Or? Oh, I see, Stacia. Yeah, yeah. yeah, thank you, Commissioner. I'll just clarify that what 
um, is being discussed right now is inconsistent with our current policy. This is not how we currently do things. So it's it's you would have to have an improved application prior to the effective date of the general plan policy, and that's what staff is recommending. But it sounds like there's a discussion of uh, amending that to instead of an approved application, perhaps a complete application submitted. Yeah, I, I would think the approval, well, again, back to my experience at the building department, to wait for an approval, it puts a project at risk. I mean, for somebody to spend a lot of time and money to go through to see if they're gonna get approved, whereas if they've got a complete application, met all of those, that criteria, I would think that could then start the clock ticking for them. But it sounds like there's a difference between building department and planning. Right, any project, um, when it's decided, has to be consistent with the current general plan in that sense. So having an application in and complete, uh, and then if the, the reason, that's actually the reason why we've been informing applicants that there are upcoming policies in the general plan that might affect their project. Gas stations, for example, we've been letting them know for a while now about this EV ready policy to let them know. So we either have to have them to a hearing prior to the effective date of the general plan or they need to comply with that new policy. So it's a little, sounds like it's different from how building code would function. Thank you. And, I, and I'll add to that, I mean, you know, the planning application, as part of the planning application, you, we have to make consistency findings that are consistent with the general plan, and that's part of the application. And so if you're not, you can't, we can't as staff approve the application. And so that's what we're talking about is once the general plan's effective, and you're asking a, a staff to make a recommendation for approval, we can't do that because we can't make consistency findings. And I would just differ, differentiate between the planning process and building, because you, you're correct, Commissioner, but the, planning, the building process is much further along, right? So this is the very, when you're submitting application, this is, this is the beginning steps, right? I um, so just wanted to make that clarification. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Hernandez. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, yeah, the cutoff thing is challenging, though, because it still takes a long time for, for it to make a determination that an application is complete. But I do want to go back to a point that uh, was made earlier on. Uh, I do re recall some years ago we did discuss this, and it's, so it's coming back. And, and I just wanted to ask, you know, in terms of drive-through specifically, how that's currently treated in the, in the planning and development code. Yes, thank you, Commissioner. So in 2018, the City Council adopted the Transit-Oriented Development Ordinance, and, and as Commissioner Caden mentioned, it was amended in 2020. So it was adopted in 2018. It prohibits uh, certain auto-centric uses within a quarter mile of light rail, both existing and planned. And then within between a quarter and a half, uh, discourages auto-centric uses and requires uh, plant, um, a CUP, conditional use permit. So that's the current uh, ordinance that's in place. This policy would add high frequency transit beyond light rail, it adds the two bus routes, and as new high frequency transit comes on, it would then apply. So it's high frequency transit, 15 minute um, headways or 15, you know, coming every 15 minutes. And then this would just expand, extend the prohibition from the quarter to a half. So instead of just discouraging within the quarter and a half, it would uh, prohibit. Thank you. Um so I appreciate the inclusion of buses and all the other modes. Um, if in 2020 we updated it, and this, you know, some of us who were here um, had that robust discussion about 
discouraging between the quarter mile to the half mile, um, and now this is kind of going the full way, I feel like, you know, if we already have it in the planning code, um, then I'm not sure that the general plan is like the appropriate place because we've already discussed that and have that flexibility in code and took into consideration the, for example, the industrial areas in, in Granite Park and the power in uh, station. Um, and so I think for hearing that, I feel more confident in the motion that we've made tonight because it takes into consideration what's currently in code and the context that the discussion that we had then and the context that each station is a, needs to be looked at with that with the local proximity thank you chair thank you commissioner hernandez um so what is what is our current motion can someone re read that back I might just call the question <laughs> you want me to try okay uh, we have a motion from Commissioner Chase and a second from Commissioner Hernandez to move staff's recommendation with a recommendation, an additional recommendation to staff and council that we re-examine the um, policy related to increasing the prohibition on drive-throughs to a half mile um, for the reasons stated and that we add um, to we examine what sort of language could be added to the EV ready gas station policy to address reliability of those charging facilities. Okay. I don't see any other hands, so I'm going to ask that the clerk. Take Could I just clarify quickly, uh, Stacia's comment? <clears throat> I think the limitation on the half mile would, would not, I would not expect that to occur on existing bus or transit lines. Um, it's only future and the future being because we don't know how long that future is. So any existing, I would have no problem with, certainly, you know, the half mile applying to any uh, existing current stations. It's, it's really future. I'm not sure how to best word that, but you do a good job at it, Stacia. And just to clarify, Commissioner, so I, I believe in this in this case that would only apply to the uh, SAC RT board approved green line extension that has not been constructed yet. Okay. Okay, uh, Commissioner Kaden, and I just want to let the folks know that if we don't end by nine thirty, we have to vote to extend the meeting. Uh, <laughs> it's a good reminder. Um, the, so I'm just going back to the policy, and it, it's a, I'm glad that you brought it up, Matt, because I actually didn't quite catch on to that, that the policy is not just amending what happens from a, half, from a fourth mile to a half mile around light rail stations. It's also adding in high-frequency transit areas. And I think that's, so, so I, we're talking 50, the 51 route, and is there another one? Number one, I, I would hate to for, for this motion to um, remove that policy as it relates to the existing bus routes or high, any high-frequency bus route if it becomes high-frequency in the future. I think that's an incredibly important thing to do, especially as we start to talk about Aggie Square and, you know, 
Uh, I'm sure folks have seen the flurry of SB 330 applications that have happened in the last few weeks um, around you know, multifamily projects, many of them along Stockton uh, near Aggie Square. That is increasingly going to be a pedestrian-oriented um, corridor, and we need to support that, that trans-oriented development. We need to support more housing near Aggie Square to accommodate the, the, the new workforce there. So um, I would, I'm not sure your motion does anything to, to, to do this, but I just wanted to reiterate, I would really like to at least maintain that provision that the policy LUP 4.12 include high-frequency transit areas. Okay. Commissioner Young? Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to sort through in my mind just the practicalities of, you know, if, if we were to remove the possibility of drive-through restaurants within those transit areas, just assuming it's a Taco Bell or some other restaurant, right? I mean, we're, we're essentially imposing on them. If they choose to do business there, they would just need to have a different set of, of, of TI requirements, right? I mean, essentially, we're talking about forcing the business to, to design something that, that has less, they, they, that feature of the drive-through would just not be existent. They can still park. Um, at the restaurant, um, so so it, it in my mind it doesn't really it, it does not seem that it would preclude a business from still doing business if if that feature were were taken away. Am I thinking about this properly? <laughs> no, that's correct. And 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 to state the obvious, this only applies to to new drive-throughs. So existing right. drive-throughs would would continue. Um, but new businesses, new fast food establishments, new businesses could could be within the half mile. They just couldn't be couldn't have drive-throughs, so they'd be walk-ups. Yeah, I, I I think for me, you know, I'm trying to think about this in terms of just economic impact, and um, I just I just know that from a housing development standpoint, the value of land is what drives the costs of housing to like crazy levels here in California. And, and I think that while I do appreciate economic development in distressed areas, um, I also believe that the, the housing market right now in California is, especially in Sacramento, um, the, the pressures are, are coming from everywhere, and I think they will continue to come from everywhere. And so um, just as, as, a, as someone who is a, an affordable housing advocate and someone who is um, really wanting to see more, more housing developed, I think having as much available land as possible in order to drive down costs, which to me also... Um, you know, helps out a number of households, right, as far as what they have to pay in towards housing. I, I just think that when I think about that in terms of economic impact and the potential for economic impact versus, you know, um, the the economic spillover that comes with not having that drive-through but still possibly having a business, I, I'm, just, I'm just inclining to lean towards 
keeping 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 the the policy as is and, and I do respect the fact that you know um, we want to give the districts their 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 sense of choice as well because you know not everything one size fits all but this is a pretty big issue uh, as far as housing goes and I think that um, even within those economically distressed areas I think that the residents in those areas would benefit from uh, greater housing choices um, and and so that's just kind of where where my inclination is right now I yield thank you uh, Commissioner Thompson. Thank you. I'm going to actually second what you were saying. But um, as I'm sitting here listening to all of this, and I've been totally quiet and also new on this commission coming in halfway through this being cooked, this is such an ambitious 2040 plan. Like the amount of work that's gone to it, but also just the amount of debate that I've been able to participate in halfway through and how big it's pushing obviously to drive for these really important components for the housing piece for the the transit oriented piece is so legible and our habitat actually I'm going to add that into but outside of that to have a conversation right now trying to adjust the larger perspective of really making sure that when we bring this out that Sacramento says transportation-oriented development is important and we're prioritizing it by doing this essentially small move. We aren't removing any businesses. We are removing drive-throughs, which is a single component. So there's a whole bunch of alternate methods that I think even removing that car-focused potential to this area will increase innovation and bringing additional opportunities into the area that might not have been there, uh, including, and Nicolene, I'm right with you on, uh, that's our area, so I know exactly what you're talking about, uh, but I also know a drive through is probably not the only thing that would be a beneficial thing in that space. I think a restaurants are actually doing okay right there. So um, I do lean towards, just as a comment, I think that the plan is in line with the ambitiousness of the entire Piece and I'm comfortable with keeping it there. Thank you. Commissioner Hernandez. Thank you, Chair, and um, thanks everyone for, for the comments and the continued discussion on this. Um, this is a big issue. Um, I do uh, believe that um, you know, we do have some great restaurants out there on Folsom Boulevard, and, but when we're talking about the light rail station and the walkability of it, and again, that Granite Park area um, stop with the big substation there, it's not, um, again, it's not particularly an area where you see a lot of folks wanting to, to, to walk. There, It is more of an auto use out there. So I just want to say that I hear... I hear the concerns and I hear the desire and I hear that we're here, you know, that we're here today to talk about our, our goals for the plan. Um, but the, what the plan is proposing is contradicting what we, we just supported and came up with a, just in 2020 um, that is currently in the code. And I know that this commission will soon see um, staff bring forward an update to, to the code. Um, in the near future, and so that might be a better venue for these discussions. This this seems like 
we may not have consensus and perhaps when we do update the code, we can bring this debate back there to where it might be more of an effective place and provide us more time to look into it. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Macias-Reed. Good evening. You're finally hearing from me. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm usually t speaking too much, so I really appreciate every single commissioner chiming in this evening. It's really great to have this robust discussion. Um, so um, I'm beating a dead horse when I say thank you to the staff. I mean, it, February 19th was the month that I had my first meeting at commission in 2019, and so we literally have been working on this since I started on the commission. Um, I've been to workshops and outreach, you know, prior to COVID and us shutting down, and then all of us, you know, as staff, you were all pivoting and trying to figure out, okay, how do we do this incredibly important and extensive outreach uh, virtually, right, which was really, really difficult, and in my opinion, you did your absolute best with what, you know, the circumstances were. Um, so I just want to speak to that. Um, uh, you know, I, I did speak with staff, you know, on the whole Natomas Basin um, issue and, and I'm appreciative uh, of the conversations and everyone coming out tonight. Um, but I think we have with the HCP a really, really good plan moving forward and I just look forward to continuing to partner with the county on all of that to, to um, you know, continue to reach our goals. We have policies stated in the general plan already that kind of lead us in that direction. Um, I will say on this parking issue, um, uh, excuse me, not parking. <laughs> um, on the drive-through issue, I'm, I'm hearing the commission, um, and yes, you know, yeah, businesses can locate in those areas. The the, the drive-through portion is just the accessory use that we are now saying that we're permitting within a half a mile. Um, so, um, just based on the comments that I'm hearing tonight, um, I know we have a motion on the table and we need to move forward with calling that to roll um, here tonight. Um, I want to say that I, I agree with Commissioner Caden's comments around you know, visionary guiding um, us in the direction and, and I, I don't know if this would really be a substitute motion or if we wanna go in that direction. We're 20 minutes out. But, um, you know, I'm just thinking through, you know, if in those proposed versus existing, we keep it at the half mile. Um, and with if the proposed, because really current code states that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's uh, uh, prohibited within the half mile. So if we continue to move forward with the existing policy, but on the proposed stations in particular, um, we... Rec make a recommendation um, to a quarter mile. Um, and then of course, we will be revisiting uh, these goals uh, as we move forward. Um, this is not, uh, it's five years in on a 10 year revision plan and, and we'll be working on this again for the next five years and then the next 10 years and the next five years. Um, so in the essence of what I'm hearing at the dais this evening, I, I don't know if that would be a substitute motion to move us forward. Um, and I also agree with just having, you know, some language within the policy around, um, you know, requiring, 
you know, uh, the EV charging stations, which I think are a great location, right, at a gas station to have because usually they're right off the freeway and people are just looking for a quick charge. So I don't disagree that, you know, the policy is, is a good way to move forward. I, I just think um, I, I don't disagree with um, Commissioner Hernandez. I think it should be a fair policy and, and we should have some language in there to, you know, whether that's to hold... Um, private operators accountable in some way or to have some sort of mechanism in place. Um, again, being mindful of, of staff's, uh, you know, of staff's uh, load, workload, um, but some, some type of mechanism where we can ensure that the EV charging systems that are coming into the city in particular are, are workable because if they're not, then it really just defeats the purpose, right? And the, of the goals and, and where we're moving forward. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, so are, are I'll leave it. Motion or sub, sub motion? I think I'll make a substitute motion. Um, but you know, I'm you know, to be quite honest, I'm still not a hundred percent clear on the first motion um, around the drive-through ask. So again, I guess Stacia, I think you clarified it earlier. If it was, can, can you? Can you reiterate the, what the motion is on the table, please? Uh, what, I, what I think I heard from the maker of the motion is that it was the motion is to move staff's recommendation with um, a further recommendation to staff and council to consider reconsider how the drive-through policy is, addresses um, proposed light rail stations between a quarter and a half mile. Yeah. I feel like oh, that's sort of refined. Okay, so in our conversation, that's what it's sort of refined to, I think. Okay, so I'm very clear on what that ask is, and I would support that. So, thank you. I'm gonna take a point of privilege and ask the clerk to call the motion, or the question, rather. <laughs> Oh no, to the vote for this, yes, for this item, sorry. Thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute. Commissioner Jean? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? No. Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Commissioner Hernandez? Commissioner Masias Reed? Aye. Vice Chair Young? Aye. Commissioner Blunt? Aye. Commissioner Andrade? Absent. Commissioner Thompson? Aye. And Chair Wallace? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. Item is uh, Commissioner comments, questions, ideas. Anybody? Commissioner Caden. This will just be 20 seconds, I promise. <laughs> Get out of here. I just wanted to say, like, monumental effort on that. Like, that is, that is an incredible plan. We should all be very proud 
Um, I just want to highlight, like, that is the framework. We have a lot of work ahead of us. The planning development code update is where all of the details of this plan actually get worked out. So I, I'm excited to jump in on that with all of you. It's going to be a really interesting, very wonky nine months, but it's really, really important. So not mission accomplished yet. Okay, we got people. Commissioner Lamas? Comments, right? Maybe. Yep, this is coming. Um, can I just give a shout out to the vice president who's in town? today in Sacramento. Oh, really? <laughs> was she? Okay. Thank you for coming to Sacramento. Yeah. A lot of folks are really excited about that. Um, so welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Commissioner Hernandez. Thank you. <clears throat> I just want to say congratulations on your first meeting as chair and your first meeting as vice chair. You guys did a great job. Thank you for leading the helm. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Macias-Reed. Uh, yes, thank you again, staff. I know you guys are trying to head out here, but thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your work. A million, million times over, you rock, and we, I just, I can't thank you enough. Um, also, I did meet Vice President Harris this morning. It was amazing and really cool. Um, and Chair Wallace, um, this was a big first meeting to take on. Congratulations. Thank you much. Now do we take comments on this? Public comments? Okay, uh, no other commissioners wish to speak. Uh, really quickly, I'll just take a second to say thank you to staff. Uh, we were talking about this in the briefing this morning and I said, you know, when I started grad school in 2004, everyone thought we were crazy when we talk about linking all these things together. Um, so it's really amazing to see how much consensus has been built and I wanna acknowledge things like the Planning Academy, which you can still apply for. Uh, <laughs> and that people like us have gone through that or things like it. Um, and so like building, you know, the whole entire body of uh, effort and individuals and community representatives to coalesce around these policies it, it has actually been a decades long effort. And um, kudos to everybody and I hope you all go have like your beverage of choice to celebrate. And with that I will ask if there are any people who wish to speak on this item. Um, thank you, Chair. I have no um, speaker slips for this item. All right. Okay. And with that, I think we adjourn this meeting. <laughs> thank you all. <laughs>